Yvette Brackett, I'm the Chair of the Office of Community Investment Infrastructure, and this is our regular meeting. Um, it is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, and I'd like to say Happy New Year's to everyone here and welcome you um, to joining us. Um, today's meeting is going to be held in a hybrid fashion. Um, members of the public can participate and provide comments both in person at City Hall and remotely by phone. Um, thank you to our staff for preparing um, the reports for today and our guests for being here um, who will also be participating in today's meeting. Um, I'd also like to welcome our newest commissioner, um, Commissioner Kent Lim, who was um, recently approved by Mayor Breed for our commission. So welcome, Commissioner Lim. Glad to be here. Um, would you like to say a few words? Happy New Year. <laughs> 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 we love that here at OCII. Short and sweet, right? Yes. Um, so, Madam Secretary, can you please call the first item? Thank you, Madam Chair. The first order of business is item one, roll call. Commission members, please respond when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Present. Commissioner Drew. Present. Commissioner Lim. Here. Vice Chair Scott. Present. And Chair Brackett. Present. All members of the present are, oh, all, excuse me, all members of the commission are present. Madam Chair, we have a quorum. The next order of business is item two, announcements. A, the next regular meeting is scheduled on Tuesday, February 6, 2024 at 1 p.m. B, announcement of prohibition of sound producing electronic devices during the meeting. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any persons responsible for the ringing of or use of a cell phone, pager, or other similar sound producing electronic device. See announcement of public comment procedures. Please be advised a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item unless the commission adopts a shorter period on any item. During each public comment period, members of the public attending the meeting in person will have an opportunity to provide their, com their comments. It's strongly recommended that members of the public who wish to address the commission fill out a speaker card and submit the completed card to the commission secretary. Members of the public who are joining remotely will be instructed to dial 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter the access code, which is 2660. 121-7001. Press the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. When prompted, press star then three to submit your request to speak. When you dial star three, you will hear the following message. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear your line has been unmuted, this is your opportunity to provide your public comment. You will have three minutes. Please speak clearly and slowly. You will be placed back on mute once you are done speaking. You can stay on the line and continue to listen to the meeting, or you can also choose to hang up. If you are planning to provide a public comment on any item on today's agenda, it is recommended that you call the public comment line ahead of time to allow you to listen to the meeting live and to prevent you from experiencing delays. Today's meeting materials are available on our website at sfocii.org under Commission, then the Public Meetings tab. The next order of business is item three, report on actions taken at a previous closed session meeting, if any. There are no reportable actions. Next order of business is item four, matters of unfinished business. There are no matters of unfinished business. 
Next order of business is item five, matters of new business consisting of consent and regular agenda. First is the consent agenda, 5A, approval of minutes, regular meeting of December 5th, 2023. Madam Chair. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please check with members of the public who wish to provide comment on item 5A? At this time, if there are any members of the public who wish to provide comments on the minutes, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-121-7001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star, then three, to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide a comment. We'd like to begin by inviting anyone who joined in person. If you would like to provide public comment on the minutes, you may come up to the podium at this time. Good afternoon, commissioners. Happy New Year's to all of you. My name is Oscar James. I'm a native resident of Bayview Hunters Point. I didn't receive the, the uh, previous, I didn't receive the previous uh, minutes. minutes of the agenda, but I know on this uh, new agenda, when we were talking in the last meeting, we were talking about the, uh, the, uh, the housing, for the preference housing, uh, the 5,800 something units. Uh, I didn't see this on this agenda for today. And I would like for that to either be put on the agenda because that's one of the reasons I'm here to talk about that uh, because I'm concerned as being a certificate holder and uh, uh, many other Certificate holders have that same concern. Some who are not able to be here today, but we have talked to them. I have been talking to them. Uh, then their concern of not having the preference or putting it into the mayor's office of housing, and we want it to stay into OCII, the redevelopment agency, so we know we have preference uh, through the agencies. So thank you very much. I hope you, I hope you guys bring that up on this agenda uh, today or real soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. James. Are there any other members of the public who'd like to come up to the podium at this time? And moving to members of the public who joined us remotely on WebEx. If you'd like to raise your hand, please press star three on your mobile devices at this time. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any other members of the public wishing to comment on the minutes. Seeing no other further comments from the public, we are now going to close public comments, and I will refer to my fellow commissioners if you have any questions, comments, or motions for the minutes. Commissioner Drew. Uh, I'd like to make a motion to approve uh, the minutes of our last meeting. I would like to uh, motion regarding the uh, COP, which I too thought would be a part of our meeting. Right now we're on item 5A, so that's 5A. the, um, we're speaking on the minutes. minutes, yes. And that's what I'm talking about. I am asking with any necessary corrections, adding to the approval. 
with any necessary corrections. So you're asking for an item to be placed on today's agenda for the minutes? So basically what we're doing right now is approving the minutes. And so right. we're approving whether or not the minutes are accurate. So in the minutes, there is the discussion around the COP certificate holders. And so if we want to add an agenda item, we can take that after this item. All right. Okay. Correct process. I, I second the approval of the minutes. Okay. Um, Jamie, can you please take roll? Commission members, please announce your vote for the minutes when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Lim. Yes. Vice Chair Scott. Yes. And Chair Brackett. Yes. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The minutes have been approved. Um, I'm going to call item 5B, but prior to that, um, could I take a two-minute recess really quickly? Sure. TV, San Francisco Government Television. back on so um, I just want to now that we're done with approving the minutes I just wanted to give a um, quick commentary um, there will be several times in this upcoming agenda that we will be addressing some of the issues for COP I know within the larger context there is still more discussions to be have around the COP program specifically replacement housing and those 6,000 units um, it is not on the agenda today as a separate item of itself, um, and we cannot add it on the item. Um, otherwise, it would be a Brown Act violation. We have to notice agenda items um, within the appropriate time. Um, however, we are having additional discussions, and this item will be back on calendar again in our first meeting in February. So just wanted to give you an update um, on that. Thank you. If I may, through the chair, um, items G and H are the items that will reference replacement housing as a general topic, if folks who were here wanted to speak about that. And there's also an opportunity for them to speak in general public comment as well. 
Madam Chair, shall I call the next item? Yes. Thank you. Next is uh, the regular agenda. Item 5B is electing the chair and vice chair under section 27 of the successor agency bylaws. Discussion and action. Madam Chair. Hello, fellow commissioners. Um, welcome back for this year. Um, we have a, before us the election of the chair and vice chair. Um, and I'm just checking in with you guys. Do we have any nominations for chair and vice chair? Madam Chair, I nominate yourself, Bavette Brackett, as chair. Do we have any other nominations as well? Um, we can make nominations at this time for either chair or also for vice chair. Uh, chair Brackett, we should do each one individually. Okay. Um, are there any other nominations at this moment? I don't have any. I'm seeing no further nominations. We'll close nominations and move it over to the vote. We'll uh, I'll open it for public comment public. first. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. So at open this time, public if, comment. sorry. If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-121-7001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again. Then please press star, then three, to be placed in the queue. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide a comment and would like to begin by inviting anyone who joined in person to provide public comment, um, you may come up to the podium at this time. Thank you. Oscar James, again, I know you guys don't get tired of me coming up here, but uh, you made a good selection for the, the chair, and thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. James. Any other members who are here in person, you may come up to the podium at this time. And if we have any members of the public who joined um, online, if you'd like to provide comments, please press star three on your mobile devices at this time. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any other members of the public wishing to comment. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, now I'm gonna refer to my fellow commissioners and just ask again if there's any abstentions or oppositions. Otherwise, we will be calling roll call for the position of chair. Madam Secretary, please call roll. Commission members, please announce your vote for the chair, the position of the chair, when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Commissioner Aquino? Just to clarify, so yes, vote for chair. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yes, I vote for chair bracket. Thank you. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Lim? Yes. Vice Chair Scott? Yes. And chair bracket? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The motion carries. Um, I am reinstated as chair for the 2024 um, year, and we are moving on to electing our vice chair for 2024. I'm um, moving over to my fellow commissioners. If you have any nominations for vice chair. I, Vanessa, uh, would vote for uh, vice chair Dr. Carolyn Scott. Thank you. 
we have any additional nominations, abstentions, or questions? No, I don't have any. Okay. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call for public comment? At this time, members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on the election of vice chair, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-121-7001, followed by the pound sign, and then the pound sign again. Then press star 3 to submit your request to speak. If you're already on the phone, please press star 3. And we'd like to invite anyone in person to please come up to the podium if you have any public comments. And if there are any members of the public who joined us through WebEx or um, by phone, please press star 3 if you'd like to provide a comment on this item. Madam Chair, we do not have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Seeing no further comments from the public, we are now closing public comment, and I'm um, moving over to my fellow um, commissioners. Um, if you have any additional oppositions or abstentions, otherwise I will be calling Madam Secretary to call the roll for Vice Chair. Nope. Madam Secretary. Commission members, please announce your vote for the election of Vice Chair when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Lim? Yes. Vice Chair Scott? Yes. And Chair Brackett? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. Um, Madam Commissioner, um, Dr. Scott um, is now um, officially our Vice Chair for the 2024 um, season. Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item on the calendar? Next. Next is item number 5C, authorizing a fourth amendment to the personal services contract with Forster and Kroger Landscape Maintenance, Inc., a California corporation to extend the contract term by up to five months to June 30th, 2024, and increase the total expenditure authority by up to $40,060 to a total overall contract expenditure authority of up to $645,200 to provide continued landscape maintenance services in community facilities district number one, South Beach, with funding provided by special taxi, taxes levied under the Melrose Community Facilities Act, former Rincon Point South Beach Redevelopment Project Area Discussion and Action, Resolution Number 1-2024. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, afternoon, members of the public, members of the commission. Um, this item is authorizing an extension of the existing maintenance contract to provide staff additional time to refine and issue a revised request for proposals to clarify the scope of services. To talk more about this extension is Mr. Mark Slutskin, the Deputy Director of OCAI. Mark. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Scott, Commissioners, Director Koslowski, Mark Slutskin, Deputy Director of OCII. The item here before you is a Fourth Amendment contract to the Forest and Kroger Landscape Maintenance Contract. And the action will be requesting that you approve the extension. Safety One was established in 1988. Uh, it OCII administers it for the maintenance of the CFD area. Services include maintenance of four public plazas, the streetscape, the irrigation and lighting systems for a portion of area in South Beach. The CFD is funded by special levy for private property owners within the CFD area. 
and services are currently being provided by Forster and Kroger under the current contract. Here we have a map that shows the areas of the private property where the residents who, and owners who pay into the CFD. Here are the facilities that are part of the CFD. In blue, you'll see, or in purple, are the plazas, and then in the dashed lines are the streetscapes. And here we have some pictures of the different plazas that are being maintained. So currently, the contract with Forster and Kroger terminates at the end of this month. OCII issued an RFP back in September. Uh, staff has determined that the RFP should be reissued to provide greater clarity on the scope of services and budget, and that is why we're here today requesting an extension of the existing contract. The proposed amendment will extend the term through June 30th of this year and it will increase the cost by $40,060 for a total authority, contract authority of $645,200. Next steps, if approved, the director will enter into the extension of the Fourth Amendment. Staff then will reissue the RFP, and we hope to be back before you in May with a recommendation for a new contract that will begin on July 1st. Uh, with me here today from OCII is Marie Munson, George Bridges, and Maria Pico, as well as Raul Garcia with Porster and Kroger, if you have any questions on this issue. Thank you for your presentation. Um, Madam Secretary, please call for public comment. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code 26601217001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star, then three to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you're already li listening to us by phone, please press star three on your mobile devices if you would like to provide public comment. We'd like to begin by inviting anyone here in person to come up to the podium if you'd like to provide public comment on this item. And to members who have um, joined us remotely by phone or WebEx, please press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, we do not have any members of the public wishing to comment. Seeing no um, additional members of the public would like to, we are now closing public comment. Um, Madam fellow commissioners, um, if you have any questions or comments on this item. And we can also entertain motions at this moment. I do have a comment. I would like to see a, a local participation. Uh, I, I, I did a research that this, they are out of town. They're not from area here. So I encourage the RFP uh, that coming up uh, in uh, July. Uh, encourage more local participation.
Do we have a motion from any of our commissioners to approve item 5C? Madam Chair, I move that we approve of 5C. And I, mo I second that motion. Madam Secretary, please call the vote. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5C when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Lim. Yes. Vice Chair Scott. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The motion carries. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call the next agenda item? Agenda item numbers 5D and 5E related to Transbay Block 2 West will be presented together but acted on separately. Item 5D is authorizing an amended and restated loan agreement with Transbay 2 Senior LP, a California limited partnership to increase the contract amount by $55,478,666 for a total aggregate loan amount of $62,064,785 and a community commercial loan agreement with CCDC, Transbay 2 Commercial LLC, a California limited liability company in an amount not to exceed $2,946,280 for the development of 151 affordable senior rental housing units, including one manager's unit and three com community serving commercial units at Transbay Block 2 West. Providing notice that the action is within the scope of the Transbay redevelopment project, approved under the Transbay Terminal Caltrain Downtown Extension, Redevelopment Project Final Environmental Impact Statement, Environmental Impact Report, a program EIR, and is adequately described therein for purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act, Transbay Redevelopment Project Area, Discussion and Action Resolution Number 2-2024. 5E is authorizing a residential ground lease with Transbay 2 Senior LP, a California Limited Partnership and a Community Commercial Ground Lease with CCDC Transbay 2 Commercial LLC, a California limited liability company for the development of 151 affordable senior rental housing units, including one manager's unit, and three community serving commercial units at Transbay Block 2 West. Providing notice that this action is within the scope of the Transbay Redevelopment Project, approved under the Transbay Terminal, Caltrain Downtown Extension, Redevelopment Project Final Environmental Impact Statement, Environmental Impact Report, a program EIR, and is adequately described therein for purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act, Transbay Redevelopment Project Area, Discussion and Action, Resolution Number 3-2024. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary, members of the Commission, members of the public. Um, these approvals are for the development of the mixed-use affordable project at Transbay Block 2 West. These authorizations are approving a residential loan and a commercial loan, as well as accompanying ground leases for each project with the Chinatown Community Development Center, otherwise known as CCDC. We also have received two letters of support for this project, one from the East Cut Community Benefits District and one from a member of the Transbay CAC. Both those letters are in your folders. To present this item is Jasmine Kuo, a development specialist with OCAI. Jasmine. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Commissioners. My name is Jasmine Kuo. I'm a development specialist on the housing team at OCII, and I'm here to present on agenda items 5D and 5E uh, for the 100% affordable senior housing development known as Transbay Block 2 West, located at 200 Folsom Street in the Transbay neighborhood. 
We're here before you today uh, for an amended and restated loan agreement, community commercial loan agreement, a residential ground lease, and a community commercial ground lease. Uh, these are the final approvals required to facilitate the construction of Block 2 West in the Transbay Redevelopment Project area. The Commission last saw this project in May 2023 uh, when you approved a permanent gap loan commitment and additional pre-development funding. This request today is being made in anticipation of the close of construction financing and start of construction next month. A brief background on the Transbay Redevelopment Project area. Uh, the Transbay Redevelopment Plan was approved in 2005 with the intent of alleviating the blight caused by freeway demolition following the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989 and creating a new mixed-use, mixed-income downtown neighborhood. The project area is split into two zones. Zone one is administered and implemented by OCII, and zone two uh, is under the jurisdiction of the planning department. Overall, OCII is obligated to provide 35% affordability in the project area. To date, in zone one, OCII has overseen the completion of over 2,000 residential units, of which over 700 are affordable units. Block 2 is one of the few remaining development sites in Zone 1 and critical to meeting the overall project area affordability requirement. The block is comprised of two distinct projects known as 2 West and 2 East, both of which will be 100% affordable housing, uh, with each project individually financed, owned, and operated. 2 West will be a project serving senior households and 2 East will serve family households. In 2020, Chinatown Community Development Center, or CCDC, and Mercy Housing uh, were chosen as co-developers for 2 West and 2 East, respectively, through a competitive request for proposals process. In 2021, Commission approved an exclusive negotiations agreement and pre-development loan agreements um, for 2 West and 2 East. The following year, Commission approved the schematic designs for both projects, and last year, Commission approved uh, separate la uh, gap loan commitments for each project in preparation for key financing application submittals, as well as a short-term horizontal ground lease for site preparation work on Block 2. In August and December of last year, 2 West and 2 East were each successful in obtaining state affordable housing bonds and tax credit allocations. The development team for the 2 West project is led by CCDC with Mithun as the lead architect and Kerman Morris as associate architect. Plural Studio is the landscape architect for both 2 West and 2 East, and the general contractor for both 2 West and 2 East will be a joint venture <coughs> between Swinnerton and um, San Francisco-based SBE Rubicon Builders. This rendering is a, um, oh sorry, this slide shows our 2 West and 2 East projects in the context of the surrounding neighborhood, with 2 West shown in orange and 2 East in yellow, along with the future Block 3 public park shown in green. Buildings with the light blue labels are residential and the dark blue labels are um, commercial or mixed use. Um, this rendering is a bird's eye view of Block 2 with 2 West on the right side and 2 East to the left with the future Block 3 public park and future Clementina Street extension in the foreground. This site plan shows the relation between 2 West and 2 East with a publicly accessible pedestrian muse running down the middle of the block connecting Folsom Street and the future Clementina Street. The retail spaces for each project are shown in yellow and the childcare space in 2 East is shown in <coughs> turquoise. The development program for 2 West includes 151 new studio and one bedroom units, 
Um, 150 units will be available to households earning between 15% to 50% of the area median income, and one unit will be set aside as a manager's unit. 30 units uh, serving formerly homeless seniors will be supported through the city's local operating subsidy program, or LOSP, and 60 units serving extremely low-income seniors uh, will be subsidized by the city's senior operating subsidy program, also known as SOS. Amenities will include a ground floor lounge and adjacent courtyard terrace, a community room with a kitchen, a rooftop terrace, two laundry rooms, and secure class one bicycle spaces uh, with no vehicular parking on the site. The project also includes three ground floor community serving commercial units and a vendor cart pad within the central um, pedestrian muse. OCAI financing for Two West will be divided into two tranches totaling $65 million. Uh, the first is an approximately $62 million permanent residential gap loan to fund the residential housing component. And second is an approximately $3 million permanent community commercial loan to fund the commercial component of the project. This structure was proposed as a means of optimizing the residential project uh, to compete for limited financing. Um, in recent years, bond allocations through the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, or SIDLAC, have been oversubscribed with the demand for funding exceeding available bond amounts. Because of this, SIDLAC has introduced a competitive scoring process, which has proved challenging for San Francisco projects. Uh, the scoring criteria generally disadvantages higher cost urban infill projects. So to compete for this source, OCIII and the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development um, have increasingly had to look at creative ways to structure uh, our funding. In general, we're looking for ways to pull out costs um, of the residential tax credit portion of the project. This, along with deep affordability targeting, improves the likelihood of an award uh, by reducing the residential cost per unit and reducing the overall amount of the requested bond allocation. In the case of this project, we've pulled out the costs related to the construction of the commercial units to be funded separately by the $3 million tranche I mentioned earlier, and constructed, owned, and operated under a separate commercial ground lease. The total development cost for the project is approximately $125 million, with approximately $123 million attributable to the residential component, or $811,000 per unit. Uh, in addition to the OCII subsidy, other financing sources include approximately $59 million in tax credit equity. Wow. Now moving on to the four documents before you today, starting with the amended and restated loan agreement to fund the residential component of the project. Um, commission previously approved approximately $6.5 million in pre-development funding. Today's request is for a $62 million permanent gap loan to fund the construction of the residential portion of the project. This amount is subject to change prior to construction start based on final actual costs, uh, which will be documented in a final financial plan. But the total OCII subsidy for both the residential component and the commercial component uh, will not exceed the $65 million number mentioned on the previous slide. For the commercial component, a separate community commercial loan will provide $3 million in funding to construct the project's three commercial units to a warm shell condition. As with the amended and restated loan for the residential component, this $3 million amount is also subject to change based on final actual costs. Uh, because the intent of the commercial units is to support the affordable housing residents and surrounding community, the three commercial units will be restricted to a public benefit use or a community serving use, as defined in most of these commercial underwriting guidelines. 
Um, in a couple slides, I'll provide more details on these two uses. The third document before you is the residential ground lease, which will have a 75-year term with an option to extend for an additional 24 years uh, and a base rent of $15,000 per year. The ground lease, along with the loan agreement, restricts incomes to 15% to 50% AMI. Just like the residential ground lease, the, a separate ground lease for the community serving commercial units will also have a 75-year term with an option to extend for an additional 24 years. The base rent will be $1 per year. Uh, this is to help maintain the financial viability of the project and vitality of the surrounding neighborhood by avoiding vacancies. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the three commercial units will be restricted to public benefit use or community serving use. Uh, public benefit use entails programs or services implemented by a nonprofit organization that primarily benefits low-income persons. Some examples uh, may include health clinics that serve the local community at no or low cost, um, office space for nonprofit organizations, or an arts-related space that provides programs and classes uh, to the community at low or no cost. The definition of community serving use is fairly broad. It's a retail or other sales and services use that provides um, a direct benefit to the community. Some examples of community serving use um, include a food market with affordable produce, um, a restaurant that offers low-cost meals, um, or a business that's owned by an underrepresented community. Uh, base rent for the community commercial units are assumed at $2.75 per square foot per month, escalating at 3% per year. Each of the community commercial units will be constructed to a warm shell finish, meaning they will be built out with items like restrooms with fixtures and accessories, uh, finished floors, and HVAC ductwork already in place. In addition to the warm shell finish, the community commercial loan agreement will also include an allowance for tenant improvements. Um, currently set at $150 per square foot to help enhance the project's likelihood of securing commercial tenants in um, the current difficult market conditions. At the bottom of the slide is a table describing each of the three community commercial units and the features they will include. Marketing for the three community commercial units uh, will be led by Mercy Commercial California. By the end of this month, Mercy Commercial will submit an updated commercial plan to OCII, which will document further outreach to prospective tenants, um, describe the racial equity efforts in the outreach and leasing of the commercial units, um, include a third-party prepared market study, and an analysis of resources available to fund tenant improvements, uh, such as but not limited to programs from OEWD. Leasing preferences for the community commercial units will be given to small local businesses, businesses owned by people of color, and businesses that include affordable price points and meet the needs of affordable housing residents. In terms of outreach, Mercy Commercial has been attending community meetings and speaking directly to residents in the Trans Bay neighborhood. They're also in the process of conducting a massive outreach campaign to small businesses for new commercial units opening in approximately one year um, at another affordable housing project in San Francisco, which is helping to create a pipeline um, of small businesses for future commercial spaces like the ones at Two West. Um, this, <clears throat> this slide provides a snapshot <clears throat> of the 15 commercial units operated by Mercy Commercial within the five OCII properties uh, listed to the right of the table. As you can see, out of the total uh, 15 commercial units, there's currently only one vacancy. 
And I'd also like to highlight that since COVID, Mercy has made um, rent concessions of over $750,000 to help keep these businesses operating. In terms of marketing for the residential units, uh, the project's target population are COP holders and their descendants, who are seniors, ages uh, 62 and older. Occupancy priorities for the project will include certificate of preference holders and their descendants, um, displaced tenant housing preference, neighborhood residential housing preference, and San Francisco residents or workers. These priorities also apply to the 60 SOS units, and they are aligned with um, the requirements of the Transbay Redevelopment Plan. Although occupancy of the 30 LOSP units will be referred by the Department of uh, Homelessness and Supportive Housing, or HSH, uh, through their coordinated entry system, OCII and MOCD will work with HSH to identify COP holders within the coordinated entry system and provide them with uh, first priority for the LOSP units as well. One month after construction starts, the developer will submit an early outreach plan with a focus on affirmative and advanced marketing to COP holders and overall technical assistance to applicants. <clears throat> the developer team has worked with our um, compliance team to meet and exceed OCII's 50% SPE goal for professional services. To date, 88% uh, of contract values have been awarded to SPEs or SPE joint ventures. For construction, the Swinerton Builders and Rubicon Builders joint venture is committed to working with OCAI um, through the remaining bid process to award contracts to SBE firms whenever possible. And they are committed to using their best efforts um, to meet the 50% local construction workforce hiring goal. OCII staff and the developer team have held several meetings with the East Cut Community Benefits District and ID8. Uh, we've presented the the project to the Transbay Citizens Advisory Committee several times since the release of the RFP. Our most recent meeting was in October of last year to present an informational update on the two West and two East projects. Now, as we move into the construction phase, we will continue to communicate um, with the community leading up to and throughout the construction process, and also when lease-up efforts begin for both the residential units and the commercial spaces. As you can see in this schedule, the 2 West project is scheduled to close on financing at the end of February with construction beginning immediately after by March 4th. One month after construction begins, the developer will submit their early outreach plan followed by their marketing plan. Throughout 2025, CCDC and Mercy Commercial will actively market the commercial units. By January 2026, construction will be complete. Um, and throughout 2026 and 2027, CCDC and Mercy Commercial will uh, negotiate commercial leases and uh, complete the necessary tenant improvement build-outs. In closing, I'll leave you with this rendering of the project as seen from the corner of Folsom and Beale. At this time, I can answer any questions you may have. Also available for questions from CCDC, we have um, Abby Brown, the project manager for 2 West. Um, and for questions related to marketing and um, leasing of the commercial component, we have Julia Katz from Mercy Commercial California. Uh, with your approval today, the project is on track to close on construction financing and begin construction next month. And thank you for your consideration. Thank you so much for your report. Um, Madam Secretary, may we please check to see if there are any public comments? On this At this item? time, 
Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, or excuse me, on these items, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-121-7001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Then <clears throat> uh, please press star then three to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide public comment. We'll begin by inviting members of the public who are here in person to come up to the podium if you'd like to speak. First, we have Mr. Oscar James. Thank you again, Oscar James. Uh, I was. I was glad uh, when the kind lady you mentioned that certificate of preference holders have a preference on these units, uh, which is, is good. We want to make sure all of the certificate of preference do have first preference, not only first preference, but to be able to move into these units because a lot of times they say certificate of preference uh, have a first priority, but we never get the units. The other thing I want to mention, we have, I've asked a lot of the uh, contractors from my community to, to come to this meeting today. I would like for them to stand up so you guys can see them. Uh, we want to make sure they get some of these contracts uh, throughout the agency. Uh, it's very important for us to be able to hire people from our communities, minority contractors, uh, uh, as a priority of that uh, I know uh, back in the day it was 50% of uh, workforce and 25% of, of contractors. And we want to still adhere to that to make sure our peoples get some of these contracts. Thank you very much. And I do approve of this particular project. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. James. Are there any other, any other members of the public in person who would like to provide a comment? Hey everyone, uh, my name is Alonzo Menelik Walker Blue Rahim, lifetime resident of Bayview Hunters Point, and I haven't been before this body in some time. Last time I was in, before this body, uh, Tiffany Bohe was sitting in that seat. So you know how long it's been. And, and, and uh, Thor, I remember Thor mm. from my interaction with the, the agency. I just come to, to make sure that the requirements that's in the California Health and Safety Code are being followed. And that's section 33334.3. That's affordability covenants. And within that affordability covenants, we have other requirements for monitoring, uh, uh, affordability terms, and a lot of other uh, uh, specified requirements for this housing being developed out of the, the, the low and moderate income housing fund. Also, we have uh, 3313. 33.333. Excuse me. 334.13 that requires uh, at least 15% of all new and substantial rehabilitated housing and or public or by built by public or private entities shall be available at housing costs and can occupy by families. That goes back to what, what Oscar said. They'd be available, but we want the occupancy. We want the people 
who's supposed to meet those income categories to live in those buildings. And, and thirdly, the 34418, uh, that's the monitoring that the, uh, the agency is required to have to put forth that shall, uh, uh, say, an agency shall monitor on an ongoing basis any houses available to persons and families of low amount of income housing level or otherwise made available pursuant to provision of this part. It's part of this monitoring, um, I'm gonna bypass that. Each owner-occupied unit we have, has a change in ownership prior to the time they have to make that report. I'm sure you're familiar with these, these uh, 334, uh, uh, 18, 334.13, and 333.34.3. All these requirements in laws and health and safety codes uh, is very important. And uh, another requirement is these units should be made available to very low and extremely low. We have been holding up to the obligation of the very low and affordable, but we haven't been holding up to the very low and extremely low income categories of the AMI. So I just want to put you on watch that uh, the watchdog is back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public in person who would like to come up to the podium at this time? Now for all the members of the public who joined us remotely by phone or through WebEx, if you'd like to provide a public comment, please press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public uh, wishing to comment further. Seeing no um, further comments from the public, we are now gonna close public comment and I'm gonna refer over to my fellow commissioners. Commissioner Aquino, do you have any questions, comments? Yes, thank, thank you, Chair. Um, thank you so much for your presentation. I, it's exciting to see another project and um, for not just uh, that neighborhood, but the city at large and um, to have this opportunity to live there if they can or even have their own business. I did have, um, I understand that there's going to be, which I find amazing, you're gonna have focused on the seniors and as well as the family uh, buildings. Um, I just, my question uh, pertaining to that, if there's going to be any room for um, or designated amount of units for those that are transitional youth um, who just turned 18 and may not have a family to move in with and will be on their own for the first time and out of the group home and foster care living, will there be a space for them or um, a certain amount of designated units for them um, or nearby? I'm not sure, but if you can answer that, be great. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for the question. Um, so for Two West, since it is a senior project, um, the age restriction is 62 years and older. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, in this project, there will not be units for transitional age youth. Um, Can you repeat that? I'm oh, sorry. having a hard time hearing you. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, this project, Two West, is a senior building. Um, so it's designated for people who are ages 62 and older. So there will not be uh, units available for transitional age youth in this building. And what about the family? That that's strictly for family. For family to east, I don't. We have Kim Osfeld here. She's the uh, project okay. manager for Two East. Maybe she can answer. I appreciate that. 
Thank you, Commissioner. Kim Obstfeld, Development Specialist on the Housing Team. Uh, thanks very much for the question. So yes, we'll, on the two east side, we don't have any units that are specifically designated for transitional aged use for that population. Um, all those referrals would come in. We have 40 units that are LOSP-supported that'll be permanent supported housing, and they'll be uh, ranging in size from one-bedroom units to three-bedroom units. So certainly those units, um, if HSH chose to refer in a transitional aged use or parenting uh, Tay, or transitional age youth we call Tay, um, could be referred into those units, but they're not specifically designated for that use in that building. Okay, thank you for thank answering you. that. No further questions, thank you. Commissioner Drew? If, if I may, through the chair. Um, Commissioner Aquino, we're, we're happy to work with Mercy during the, the marketing of this to work with HSH, excuse me, um, to have them reach out to organizations that work with youth, just so they're aware of the opportunity as well. Clearly a one bedroom, uh, potentially on the income of the, of the, the youth, uh, they could be eligible for those um, projects and with those uh, units. Thank you for that. No further questions. Uh, thank you, Chair Brackett. Uh, uh, Ms. Quo, I was uh, first wanted to start by congratulating staff. Uh, you've done a lot of hard work and creative thinking in terms of obtaining those really competitive uh, state uh, tax credits uh, for both this uh, project as well as to East. Uh, so well done uh, on your on your work. It was really wonderful to hear that uh, both projects were successful in their first attempt uh, at receiving that uh, key financing, and that uh, accordingly the projects are able to to move forward. So thank you very much for your uh, work uh, on on that. That front. Uh, I was also hoping if we could go back to slide nine, uh, if you could just decode uh, which of those AMI unit uh, AMI levels correspond to extremely low income or very low income, because um, I think we're doing a commendable job here on reaching those lower levels of affordability. Uh, but it's it's hard to do that that crosswalk between uh, AMI uh, and uh, uh, our obligations under uh, uh, redevelopment law. Sure, thank you for the question. So um, I brought back up uh, slide nine. So the units designated for <clears throat> extremely low income seniors um, are th uh, the ones set at 15% AMI and 25% AMI. Um, there are 30 units um, at each AMI level. Great, thank you. And uh, if you just happen to have it available, could you share like what a an individual senior would make at those those levels. Oh, sure. I think I have that. Um, I don't have the income levels, but uh, for fifteen percent AMI, the rent for a studio would be uh, three hundred seventy nine dollars per month. Uh, for one bedroom, it's four hundred thirty three dollars. <coughs> and for twenty five percent AMI, oh. <laughs> Uh, $630 per month and $721 per month. And thank you, Elizabeth, for <laughs> providing this chart. Um, so 15%, uh, one bedroom household is $15,150. 25% um, one person household is 25200 Great, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And um, just since we have so many members of the public, mm -hmm. uh, these really are reaching deep levels of affordability. So hopefully once we are in marketing, um, if you could please help get the word out that these units are available um, to, to folks in these uh, income brackets. Would love to see COP holders uh, access these, these units. 
Just for a point of clarification, that's only for 2 West, which is the senior housing. And then what Correct. is the affordability levels for t 2 East, which is the families? Mm -hmm. um, Ms. Obsterfeld, did you want to come up and explain what those are? Sure. And I actually, I apologize, I don't have the full chart in front of me for 2 East today, but those range from 40% of area median income up to 80% of area median income. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have those 15 and 25% levels. Um, the reason we're able to do that on 2 West is uh, the senior operating subsidy, which basically uh, creates a subsidy to subs rental subsidy to the project that pays the difference between that 15% or 25% of the area median income and the rent level at 60% of area median income, which allows the project enough capital to continue to operate really well. Um, and those are available, right? That subsidy is available just for our senior buildings right now under SOS and, and not available to a family project. Yes, I, I do have a question for her. <clears throat> Commissioner Lim? Yes, uh, can you bring up uh, page uh, 19 for me, please? <clears throat> Okay, I see contracting and workforce compliance. Uh, I see professional services. Uh, looks like these are great numbers, and so is the workforce, so about 50% uh, local hiring. But I don't see anything for contracting. I mean, people who's going to build the job. I, I don't see here. here. Um, maybe if I could ask George Bridges to, or Mar uh, Maria. Hi, Maria Paco, Contract Compliance Specialist on the project. Um, so we're finalizing those numbers currently and still bidding out some of that work, but I've worked closely um, with the joint venture team on this project. Um, Swinnerton with Rubicon, and they've done a lot of community outreach. Um, we've had a lot of meetings where we're inviting the small business community, um, independent of the requirements of the project. So um, I'm optimistic about those numbers, and we'll have them soon. I, I would like to see it before we approve this loan. Okay. Um, I mean, show us the percentage, show us the dollar amount, because <clears throat> I learned from the past Nothing okay. is being met, and a lot of angry people. Um, so those are preliminary. I can see what okay. I can pull up and see if that's something that um, we can present today. I um, mean, but, at least I see a 25% goal from the gentleman, Mr. Yeah, James, and it, mentioned it's, earlier. It's, yeah, the preliminary. I'm talking about local business. I'm not. Right. So our small business program um, is total SBE. Yeah. So local is within that percentage. Yes. Um, so it's not parsed out. The current preliminary numbers that we have aren't parsed out. Um, I believe they're close to 50%. Um, I like to so, see it. Okay. Oh, it's cheap. Okay. So I'll, I'll check to see what I have in my emails. Um, okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, I, I would not re recommend to approve today. If I may, through the chair, if the commission would like to take a one or two minute recess, I can research with staff the preliminary numbers. They're not the final numbers, it's just what is currently there, but the commission can do something else as well, but just offering that up. 
<clears throat> I hope you could see all of it. You can see there's no contracting uh, uh, goal here at all. I mean, professional service, I know what they are. Workforce is great. Right. Commissioner Lim, the, the, the goal, Commissioner Lim, uh, through the chair, the goal is 50% for um, project area SPEs for contracting, and then subsequently for San Francisco SPEs for contracting, uh, and therefore other SPEs after that. that that's the goal. Okay, great. I'd like to see a commitment. Do you have any additional um, comments, um, Commissioner Lim, on any other part of the proposal? We're going to continue. Mm, no, to I, I just don't discussion. see contracting a uh, 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 you know, goal here. That's all. Okay. Um, Dr. Yeah. Scott? So, uh, looks like she was coming up to say something. Not sure. Oh. Um, Elizabeth Cosmello. Hi, Commissioner Lim. Just wanted to note that the SBE requirements are a part of our contracts with the developers, so they are embedded in the current contracts that we have with the developers, and they have been working in good faith with us on those efforts, as, as Ms. Pico stated. Just wanted to clarify. Um, yeah, and so just to clarify, um, currently for the construction contracts, the SBE percentages is between 45 to 47 percent. The most recent figure is actually, it's still being finalized, but the preliminary figure is 45.3. Um, yeah, for SB, so that's all SB, um, local, and anyone cert who you know meets our program requirements. So they're not all San Francisco, but the San Francisco number is baked in to that total number. I believe local is around 35 percent. Locals or 35? Yeah, for construction. So those first numbers are professional services. The construction's not on that chart, um, but they're, those are preliminary, but those contracts are being um, finalized. Okay, I will hold you to that. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Oops. Commissioner Scott? Yes. So um, thank you, Jasmine and... Um, Mercy for uh, the information that you've shared your presentation and it's always good to see another 100% um, affordable model that's being offered here in this city to meet the needs of the city. I am um, grateful for those that did show up that are you know looking forward to the contracts and it's an evidence that we do have people that here in this city are available, interested, and ready, and prepared, and skilled. Um, so I'm hoping uh, there will be, um, as Maria said, the outreach, getting information from those that are here if possible, but making sure that we reach out to every opportunity that's available to reach our people for the work here in their city. Um, building this city has been something we've done uh, before the early 40s and uh, setting it up, pulling it together and keeping it together. And so my heart is rejoicing because I see young men out there. I see young men and I know Oscar James was a part of this work years ago 
years ago in the city and for him to still be in touch and to be able to give out information and they show up showing availability, I would say don't miss the opportunity and uh, grab it. Um, thank you so much for sharing and we do know and have tracked with Maria that we have gone beyond 10%, beyond 15%, beyond 20% after pulling and pulling and much conversation. So I do understand we've gone beyond the 25% of hiring and we want to keep going. So you young folk, please keep coming out, showing up and staying prepared with your skills to offer to your city and your families. Um, so thank you, that is my part in it. And uh, thank you, uh, Jasmine. And I would just ask that you slow down just a little bit so everyone can hear the information you're giving and uh, the importance of it. Okay, noted, <laughs> thank you. So I want to apologize to the public. I'm a little bit stuffed up, so if you see me blowing my nose or not being able to talk, I apologize. And if you're not able to fully hear me, um, I'm going to be a little bit long-winded on this item because there's a lot of issues that I think need to be addressed here. Um, sure. Just wanted to... One more question. Oh, you want to do one more question before... I would like to have a spreadsheet of those uh, LB uh, goals here. Okay. Um, previous commissioners, specifically Commissioner Bustos, used to always say that when redevelopment took action to remove people from the units, they didn't check to see what that person's income was. They didn't check to see what that person's credit was. And they didn't have all these barriers that we now have in place um, that prevent a lot of people from accessing the affordable housing that we are building. And um, just also wanted to talk about our recent report that came out last year um, in which Commissioner Ludlam um, was shocked, as the rest of us commissioners were, to find out that 80% of the COP holders who had applied for housing were either rejected or did not want it. So we have a lot of work in front of us in 2024 to do better work um, as a team, not just OCII, but our development partners as well, when it comes to marketing these units, making sure that the entire community knows about these in advance, that they have the opportunity to remove those barriers if there are barriers that exist on these projects, that the marketing teams are actually doing the marketing work and that they have the essential time to do the marketing work before lease-up because we know that if the units aren't leased right away, we also have issues around financing and stuff like that. And so um, I'd like to suggest a specific amendment to the amended restated loan agreement on page 28. It currently says that um, the marketing plan needs to go out no later than 12 months prior to the projected completion date. I'd like that to be changed to 18 months. Okay, 18 months. <clears throat> Um, while I am also pleased that we have um, extremely affordable rates for seniors as well, um, it saddens me again to see another project come before us, um, especially in our project area, that doesn't reach um, down to the extremely low. It does reach the low AMI, which is the 40%, but it does not touch the extremely low. 
Another thing I wanted to raise is that currently what we found out was that the average income of our essential workers in San Francisco is $55,000. That was during COVID. So we have people who are keeping the city alive and keeping it running, making less than that. And when we're talking about being able to offer people a really good chance to stay in the city and work in the city that they live in, we're leaving out a large swath of people. The other issue that came up during COVID and that this commission um, did try to address in some ways was around um, being able to offer housing for homeless, formerly homeless persons through this AMI level, they would not qualify. And so, therefore, I am really asking the team to put their heads together. I know that there were other ways that we subsidized additional projects to get lower. I'm wondering if there's opportunity to meet with the mayor's office and see if Prop C funding can be used to subsidize the rents of those um, persons who would like to live in this development as well so that we can get that AMI down to 10% and 15%. There is money available in Prop C money, and that should be used here to subsidize people's rents. Furthermore, as we are talking about, this is a mixed-use project when it comes to retail space. Um, in the past, OCII and some of our previous developers, specifically Mercy Housing, has had some challenges in keeping or um, leasing up this space. So while I'm glad to hear there is going to be some improvement in terms of making the warm shell a little bit better, um, we do need to work on um, changing some of the requirements with M um, MOHCD so that we can really get a real, true warm space. The warm space that you're saying right now is not equitable and it does not fit um, for restaurants. And while we're adding tenant improvements, that's still not enough when you're talking about a restaurant and a hood for a restaurant. One hood on a restaurant costs about 150 k That's just a hood. So if we're talking about really having equitable advantage and opportunities for small businesses and restaurants to serve the local community where there are going to be seniors and there are going to be families, we need to make sure that those businesses in there don't come in saddled with debt to where they have to charge a higher fee for the food and our seniors and our local people won't be able to buy at that restaurant. We already have a lot of... Um, kind of higher tier um, eating options in the Trans Bay area, and we really need more affordable options if we really want to make that area family and, elder and elderly friendly. So I'd like to see some more work being done on that. I know today's proposal is mainly the one of the first steps in um, the way these projects go. There'll be additional times when we'll have more details about the marketing plan, around construction, around SBE, but we really need to start jumping on these things early and also coming up with better processes as an agency so that we're dealing with this before the RFP goes out and that we're being thoughtful about this. Um, we're in a new day. Um, I know yesterday was Martin Luther King Day and we talked a lot about, a lot of people talked about his dream, but really honestly in San Francisco, we're actually living out his nightmare. And if we're going to be honest about what OCII is charged to do, we're charged to housing people. And we're charged for, to building full and complete communities. And we can't do that doing the same processes and the same things in the past. Because over the last 10 years, we know it's not working. And so while we have a lot of success that I want to thank the staff for, which is keeping us alive, you know, that was a hard thing, um, especially after dissolution. We weren't even sure we were going to be OCII 
right now or had been able to deliver all of that housing that we have so far. And I want to take my hats off to staff for all of your hard work and long hours in the evening to make all of that happen and to get by and to work with the state, which hasn't, has been very difficult um, along the process. Um, but again, I think that what's happening is your success as OCII to pushing forth on these projects has given the state a different look at what affordable housing could be. And with the statewide crisis around affordable housing, there's even more ways that we can innovate and create and really help the people at the very bottom who need that help. Beyond that, I know that our requirements for SBE and local hire is around 50%. And at one point, OCII, we were doing better than that. We were actually doing over 50%. And um, one of the only reasons why we've been doing a little bit less is due to COVID and we didn't have as many projects in the pipeline. So I'm excited to see these new projects coming aboard and us having more work. But as Commissioner Lim said, we also see, still need to keep constantly holding the developers and construction companies on target to ensuring that that money stays in this city with our workers and our people so that they can afford to live here. There's nothing worse than going through our trade programs, getting a certification, becoming a journeyman, and then there's no more work for you. And you're still expected to pay union dues. And you're being laid off and put on jobs here and there and you have no consistent income to even consider buying here. We need to do a better job. And I don't know if that, um, Director Koslovsky means that we might need to, and, um, look at potentially any kind of enforcement options that we have as OCII on projects to either monitor projects to ensure that there's the levels of staffing um, in terms of local hires on staff or um, what other things that we can do. Um, I do want to take my hats off to Georgia Maria for their work on the SBE programs and getting trainings and getting our youth in the pipeline and getting new businesses. But we also, um, as you can see here, we have members of the public who have been in business for several decades in the construction trades and are still here um, advocating to work. And that should not be, they should not have to spend their time asking us and begging us for projects. They should be in the pipeline as well. So, um, just to sum up um, what I had to say, I'm just wanting to hear from Director Koslasi if you guys would be open to amending um, page 28 and adding the 18 months in there um, so that that is a requirement. Uh, Madam Chair, thank you for all your feedback and comments. Uh, I believe the 18 months is doable. Uh, we can institute that right away. Thank you. Um, and I'll leave it to my fellow commissioners if you have any final thoughts or if you have a motion that you'd like yeah. to. I, I am just hoping that we will do a deeper work and um, more consideration in how what is not working, how it was done, and what can be done that takes us deeper into investigating, listening to, and calling those that have come before us saying they're COP holders, they have all of the information needed, necessary, and yet they're denied. And why, it, it's beyond me, but I know we need to fix that. 
uh, people that have been here all their lives. They've got all the information, but barriers are there that should not be in place. And so that's something we can fix to make right those wrongs. That's something that we can do to change the narrative that, um, as Bavette so um, graciously said, is now a nightmare to Dr. King's dream. And we would not want to be out of being the largest city, one of the largest, most wealthiest cities in this nation, creating darkness when we have so much light. So I uh, look forward to hear a different story as to how we're doing what we do and how we're listening to those that come before us with uh, their information and their truths to their story. I think I'd uh, like to make a motion uh, to approve uh, the amended and restated loan agreement uh, on Transbay uh, to, uh, can we take the items together? Mm -hmm. Or? They're separate. Separate, but okay. Separate. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, so that first, uh, first item, uh, 5D uh, on the agenda. I'll second that motion. Madam Secretary, please call roll. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5D when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Lim. Uh, no. Vice Chair Scott. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Yes. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes, one nay. The motion carries. Um, do we have a motion for 5E? Madam Chair, I move that we approve 5D. We're on E. 5E. E. E. Forgive me. E like Edward. I move that we approve 5E. Uh, I'll second the motion. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5E when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Lim. Yes. Vice Chair Scott. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. Um, item 5E carries. Um, can you please call the next item, Madam Secretary? Next is item number 5F, authorizing a First Amendment to the amended and restated loan agreement with 350 China Basin Partners, LLC, a limited liability company to increase the budget by $8 million for a total aggregate amount of $83,184,522 for the construction of a 148-unit affordable for sale residential project at 400 China Basin Street, Mission Bay South, Block 9A, providing notice that this approval is within the scope of the Mission Bay project, approved under the Mission Bay Final Subsequent Environmental Impact Report, or FSEIR, a program EIR and is adequately described in the FSEIR for the purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act, Mission Bay South Redevelopment Project Area, Discussion and Action Resolution Number, 
4-2024. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary, members of the commission, members of the public. This action is related to maintaining the affordable levels of sales pricing envisioned in the project agreements, which has been negatively impacted by the rapid rise in interest rates during this project's construction period. To present this item is Pam Sims, Senior Development Specialist with OCII. Pam. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Commissioners, Executive Director Kozlowski, and as stated, I'm Pam Sims, Senior Development Specialist in the Housing Division. I'm here today to present on item 5F to request your authorization for an additional $8 million for an aggregate total not to exceed loan amount of $83,154,522 for 400 China Basin Street, also known as Mission Bay South, Block 9A. And just to refresh your memory about where the project site is located, it's between Mission Rock and China Basin Street, across the street from the recently completed 410 China Basin, or the Mission Bay South Block 9 modular development, which is 141 units of permanent supportive housing. There are a number of amenities around the project site, including cafes, restaurants, pharmacies, medical offices, a farmer's market, and recreational venues. The Mission Bay project area was approved in 1998 when the Redevelopment Agency Commission approved the Mission Bay North and South Redevelopment Plans and Owner Participation Agreements, or OPAs, which allowed for the development of up to 6,514 residential units in Mission Bay, with approximately 30% total set aside as affordable housing units. In Mission Bay South, 905 affordable units have been constructed and another 313 are planned or under construction. The 400 China Basin Street project totals 148 units of affordable home ownership housing and is currently under construction and approximately 70% complete. The Commission and the Mission Bay Citizen Citizens Advisory Committee, or CAC, has seen this project several times during the project's evolution. Initially in 2019, the request for proposals uh, was presented to the CAC and subsequently to the commission, and then the selected team of 350 China Basin Partners, which is comprised of Michael Simmons Property Development, Inc., Charm uh, Curtis Development, and Young Community Developers, was presented to the CAC in October 2019. In April 2020, the Commission approved a pre-development loan agreement and an exclusive negotiations agreement. In the summer of 2020, the CAC provided feedback for 50% schematic designs. In February 2021, the team presented 100% basic concept and schematic designs to the CAC and subsequently to the Commission for approval. In December 2021, the Commission approved a First Amendment to the Pre-Development Loan Agreement to add additional funding to get the project to construction start. Most recently, the Commission approved a $75,184,000 gap loan and approved a Disposition and Development Agreement in April 2022. And today, the project is being presented to the Commission for to consider an additional $8 million to retain the current affordability levels. 
The 400 China Basin project is comprised of 148 units with 51 bedroom units, 63 two bedroom units, and 35 three bedroom units. A community room, yoga room, dog washing station, outdoor courtyard, roof deck, business center, and in-unit washers and dryers. Oh. Area median incomes or AMIs for these units will range from 80% to 110%. And for illustrative purposes, um, I included the 80 and 110% AMI levels for four-person households using 2023 AMI levels. Also, there will be 34 car parking spaces and 76 bicycle spaces. And as a reminder, these affordable housing units will be sold un, uh, pursuant to OCII's Limited Equity Program, or LEP, which is administered by the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, or MOCD, in order to ensure permanent affordability. Under the LEP, the purchase price at initial and future resale is set according to the AMI level rather than market values. At resale, the price will be set at the same affordability level that established the original price regardless of the current market value. So when the homeowner sells, their equity will be placed in the change in AMI over time, plus any capital improvements made by the homeowner. So today's request, um, so why we're here today. When the commission approved the gap funding request, the developer, along with MoCD and OCI's staff, assumed a mortgage interest rate of 4.2% at the time of pricing in unit sales, which, re which represents the 10-year rolling average for a 30-year fixed mortgage at the end. The developer and staff knew that sales proceeds would be subject to variables such as changes in AMI levels and interest rates. And what we didn't expect was the steadily increasing interest rates since commission approval. In, 20, in November 2023, the 30-year fixed interest rate was 7.5%, which represents a decrease in the permanent loan amount that a first-time home buyer can qualify for and increases mortgage payments, which then makes the units less affordable to the targeted AMI levels. To maintain the targeted AMI levels, the prices would need to be reduced, but then the project wouldn't generate sufficient sales proceeds to repay the Goldman Sachs construction loan. So before you today is the recommendation to authorize a First Amendment to the amended and restated loan agreement to provide an additional $8 million, which will be used to offset the increase in interest rates since early 2022 and reduces the Goldman loan, which allows the developer to retain the lower unit prices for first-time home buyers and still repay the reduced Goldman loan with the available sales proceeds. So the occupancy preferences in this project are the same as it is at Transbay 2, um, except no seniors uh, uh, restrictions. Um, certificate of preference holders, uh, including descendants, um, displaced tenant housing preference for up to 20% of the units, neighborhood resident housing preference for up to 25% of the units, and that is because we have state funding in this project, uh, San Francisco residents and workers, and members of the general public. 
And as is the practice for all OCI affordable housing projects, OCI requires a robust marketing and outreach process from the developers to ensure that this homeownership opportunity reaches a wide audience of probable buyers. So to that end, the development team submitted an early outreach plan to OCI and MOCD 30 days after the start of construction. The document details the plan to outreach specifically to certificate of preference holders. So there is enough time to prepare and apply for this opportunity. To date, two postcards have been mailed out to COP holders, one in November 2022 and the other in February 2023. And a third will be mailed out later this month to over 1,600 active COP holders. The early outreach plan also includes a memorandum of understanding with the San Francisco Housing Development Corporation, who along with Homeownership SF, provide homeownership classes to prospective buyers. Uh, the development team is ahead of schedule with its marketing and outreach efforts with the submission of a draft marketing plan in December. The draft marketing plan includes tentative details of the application process, open houses, and lottery dates. The development team has been conducting outreach and marketing since construction began in July 2022 with the development of a website, 400 China Basin, outreach to COP holders, displaced tenants housing preference households, and residents of Mission Bay and District 6 who are eligible for the neighborhood resident housing preference. An additional outreach to renters in districts five and 10 will take place next month. Current advertising in the Potrero View and Mission Bay newspapers and next month in the San Francisco Bay View and Sun Reporter. There have been significant outreach to major employers and city agencies, mailers to all SFUSD schools to inform teachers and administrators, and hard hat tours will be offered in March and April for all interested parties, plus brokers, lenders, and homeownership SF represent representatives will be in attendance to answer any questions. And this is just the beginning because of the 620 individuals who have registered at the 400 China Basin website, there are 18 COP holders who have expressed interest. Additionally, the developer will be working with MOCD and OCII to perform a special outreach to COP holders at the 80% to 110% AMI levels to inform them about the project. Now I would like to quickly walk you through a couple of the key pages uh, at the 400 China Basin website. So here we have the landing page which informs visitors that the units are coming online in, in the summer of 2024 and prices start in the mid $200,000 range and immediately asks visitors to register for project updates. And this page provides unit layouts and key elements about each unit size. For one bedroom units, again, there's 50 available. The sizes range between 500 and 750 square feet and prices will be in the mid 200,000 to low $400,000 range. And for the two bedroom units, there are 63 available and the sizes will range between 800 to 1,000 square feet and the prices will range from the low 300,000 to the mid 400,000s. And here is the layout for three bedroom un units uh, and there'll be 35 available and are sized between 1,000 and 12, 
150 square feet, and the prices will be from $300,000 to $500,000. And finally, another important piece of information is a schedule which informs visitors that between now and April is when ownership workshops should be completed. The hard hat tour, uh, tentatively named Tacos and Tours, um, will be conducted in the spring. Applications are due in May. The lottery is currently scheduled for May 24th. Construction is completed in August, and successful homebuyers can start moving in in September. And... Uh, for the Equal Opportunity Program, the, profession, the project's professional services contracts, the development team secured uh, the following participation percentages, 71.6% Small Business Enterprise, or SBE, 32% San Francisco-based SBE, 17% Minority-Owned Business Enterprise, 2.7% Women-Owned Business Enterprise, and 3.9% Minority Women-Owned Business Enterprise. And for the construction phase, the contracting percentages total 49.2% SBE, 33.7% San Francisco-based SBE, 30.4% minority-owned business S uh, MBE, 1.7% women-owned business enterprise, and 1.6% minority women-owned business enterprise. The workforce numbers to date are 127,331 total hours. And uh, there was a mistake, I believe, in your packet. Um, the actual hours are 33,916 local hours, 93,045 minority hours, and 924 women hours. So if you authorize the amendment today, the construction will stay on schedule. Um, OCD will start accepting applications through Dahlia in mid-March with the lottery in May and construction completion in August 2024. So I'd like to end with the rendering of the development looking east, which displays the architecture, um, the roof deck open area, and the community room. Now I'd like to um, introduce uh, MoCD staff, who I think Maria Benjamin is online, and members of the development team with me today are Michael Simmons and Charmaine Curtis. And we are all happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you, Pam Sims, for the wonderful presentation. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call to see if we have anyone that would like to provide public comment at this time? If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415 Six five five zero 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 one. Enter access code two six six zero one two one seven zero zero one. Followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star then three on your mobile devices to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you would like to provide public comment. And we'd like to begin by inviting anyone who joined in person to provide public comment on this item. You may come up to the podium at this time, beginning with Mr. Oscar James. Oh, yeah. Good afternoon again. This is another project I, I will support 100%. Uh, one of the main things, and one of the reasons I'm really supporting this, 
Where can you get home ownership for the prices that Pam spit out? Nowhere. Nowhere in this city. We want to make sure certificate holders get some of these units for sure for home ownership. Um, one of the things that was said prior to me getting up before was how long minority contractors are, are peoples of colors been working here in the city and county of San Francisco. We go back to 1906 after the earthquake. It was a lot of black folks that were working to build back San Francisco. Also a lot of the Asians were here also that did a lot of the work. We want to make sure those peoples get these contracts, okay? We have a president of the, the Contractors Association in Bayview Hunters Point was here. I don't know if he's still here, but I would like for him to stand up and uh, let you guys see him. Uh, they meet every Tuesday at the Southeast facility. Uh, and it's important for them to get some of this work. But I want to make sure you guys emphasize, because low interest rate and the, the price of these, these homes, because I'm a homeowner, and I've been a homeowner for over 37 years, and, and a native resident of this city. And it's nothing better than a person owning their property so they can say what they want to say in ownership. And there was a lot of homeowners in Western Edition, also in Hunters Point, that was relocated and in the Mission, uh, uh, Soma, what have you. It was a lot of people that were taken out of there. And I want to make sure they're, they have the preference of moving back into the city also. So thank you very much. Excuse me, there's a, the president of the, of the uh, contractor. So can you raise your hand? He's the chairperson. And each, each Tuesday they meet at the Southeast Center at 8 o'clock. So th mm -hmm. that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. James. His name? I'd like to come up to the microphone. Thanks. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm Demetrius Williams, president of the San Francisco Hyperlocal Building Trades Contractors Collective. Uh, we formulated our group through the SFPUC. Um, so we are the con we are collective contractors hosting a majority of uh, plumbers, painters, uh, cleanup, um, framing, uh, trucking. So we came as a collective all together and said, you know, our whole goal is to get contracts. Let's not let's build together instead of coming in and saying, hey, I'm just want to do plumbing. No, let's go and get a, co a, a collective of contracts together so we can build San Francisco all together. So we formulated this uh, co contractors collective and uh, and we started, you know, looking into opportunities so we can all be included instead of us going in separately and saying you're not hiring nobody from the community you're not hiring nobody from our that look like us to try to build for us and so we found that collectively we can organize together and come up with an opportunity to uh start being on these projects hey kent how's everything 
So, uh, yeah, so now that we uh, formed our collective, we are just reaching out to make sure that we include it in on the uh, opportunities to build San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I have a Thank quick you. question. Um, if you could stay at the, um, oh, Mr. Sorry. Williams, if you could, are you guys also connected with the CMD as well? We are, we, we are uh, all, all LBEs. We did work with Stephanie Tang. Stephanie Tang knows very much of us. So uh, we're definitely, ha I'm having a meeting with Stephanie at four o'clock today um, about a project at the Biosolids. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any, any other members of the public here in person that would like to provide comment on this item? Thank you. Uh, thank you again. Can you put your microphone down? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for uh, your working with efforts to try to bring equity, to bring equity and compliance to uh, the efforts that's being developed uh, in the city of San Francisco for everyone. Uh, like I spoke to the concerns of, that I have is compliance. We have laws and regulatory policies and declarations. We have all that. But the oversight and the due diligence that's being given to that in, in, in reference to the laws that I just spoke to you about earlier, we don't have that. We don't have the instruction. That's why it's good for all these presentations that's been brought before us today. It's good. It sounds good. But how do we hold them accountable for preference and the prefaces that they say that they is built into the development of these, these units, affordable units and extremely low units, if you have no monitoring process to, to make sure that they stay in compliance with what the requirements of the law says. And that's what's been the problem. I've been doing this for some time, and I find that that's where we're lacking. Uh, and I, I would like to propose a, a committee uh, that would be a compliance committee with city and residents' participation, not just the, the, the bureaucracy of the city, uh, but for people who have on hands experience living in these communities and experiencing the, the neglect and the rejection of uh, the development that's taking place. Uh, this is going all over the United States, for, for one thing. It's not just happening in San Francisco. This non-compliance is going on, especially particularly to in African-American uh, uh, communities. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plague. And uh, we can see it, the turnout from this plague and all other type of statistics, health, law enforcement, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a disease. Uh, this is my personal opinion. But uh, if we can just hold those that's accountable, hold those accountable who are proposing and uh, seeking funding for these projects, hold them to the same level of accountability as to what the law requires for them to do, and then putting in place a uh, 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 structure that will penalize them if they don't hold to, to compliance. Other than that, we're just spinning our wheels. That's my personal opinion. But, uh, I'm willing to, to sit and be a part of the advisory uh, committee or any other committee that you have to make sure that we can put in place uh, infrastructure that will make sure that these uh, uh, these good statistics that they're 
speaking about is being uh, uh, applied and realized by the people for whom they were uh, structured by, by the, what's in these laws. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members who are here in person that would like to speak on this item? For any members of the public who wishes to provide um, their comments remotely, if you can press uh, star three on your mobile devices now. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any other um, comments. Seeing no further public comments, we will now close public comments, and I'll move it over to my fellow commissioners. Commissioner Lim, would you like to start us off, if you have any questions uh, for yeah. comment? <clears throat> Excuse me, yes. Uh, on your um, presentation, page 16, Here you go. You show equal opportunity program. I like what I'm seeing, but I will request a uh, detailed report in a spreadsheet to to confirm and back up, and also for the uh, hiring to, uh, the workforce too. Thank we can, you. We can provide that to you. Please. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. I'm good. Thank you. If I may, thank Madam you. Chair, through the chair. Um, I just want to also inform uh, Commissioner Lim that annually we provide a uh, contract compliance report that is occurring, I don't know exactly when, but maybe a few months from now. We'll provide a, a report on this particular project and a report on the previous project, which is the Block 2 West for Transbay, but also annually you'll receive a comprehensive report that also looks back since our inception, since 2010, or I think we go back five years. Um, nonetheless, we have all that data that you can see project by project, every, every uh, detail. Yeah, send Thank them you. to me, please. But I'm more interested in the current one. But after the job is done, you can't go back and do, any, do much anything about it. Okay? So, thank you. Thank you. Dr. S um, Commissioner Dr. Scott. Thank you, Pam, uh, for your report. And I'm just wondering, uh, the gentleman that was here, I believe he said Williams is the last name, President. Um, how were you made aware of our meeting today? Are you on the mailing list yet? And, Ms. yes, how did you know about our meeting today? And are you on the mailing list? Do you get the information ongoing? And um, these are things we need to know so that we get in touch with everyone and each person that's a part of your operation should be receiving that same information. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm not on your mailing list. But I do, we do want to be on your mailing list. And uh, um, easy to find. I can leave my business card with you so that way you can contact us and uh, and. Uh, definitely uh, Brother Ronde Sterling Framers uh, with Sterling Framers and uh, Will Carney here with, with plastering. So we, we have a collective of uh, uh, brothers and sisters that come together and we, we would be more than open to attend all of your meetings if, it's a, if, it's a, if we get the information that, mm -hmm. you know, in a timely manner. We just happen, 
We just happened to find out about this today. That's why I was running a little late. I found out about this today. But now I know that you meet every other Tuesday. We don't have a problem with, you know, attending and coming and presenting and being a part of. That's what we're trying to do. Thank you so much. So if it was not for Mr. James, is that your Correct. source? That is our yeah, resource. You would not have been here. Yes. So again, thank you, uh, Mr. James, for your outreach. And um, we're looking forward to finding even more. Uh, I'm uh, sure this is not the end of the number of you here in this city. It, it is absolutely not. And it's just, you know, it's just a opportunity to wake up the city to who we are. We've been here, you know, I went through the apprenticeship, uh, five-year apprenticeship through Local 38. Then I became a journeyman plumber for another five years, and now I've been owning my company for five years. So, uh, you know, we just collectively got together and started brainstorming, putting our heads together like you all do. But we're the building. We, we, we want to build. We want to make the policies. We want to build the city. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Right. Pam, my question as we were talking to Pam Sims, uh, my question regarding outreach and marketing. We talked a bit uh, some time ago and last year a bit about it, um, doing something with advertisement on Muni. Uh, getting information to our institutions, the synagogues, the churches, um, for COP holders. Where are we with that? Thank you for that question, mm -hmm. Commissioner Scott. Um, regarding Muni, um, we're, we're looking at the budget for the 24-25 year, which starts July 1st, 2024. Uh, to do additional outreach for the for COP holders, um, we have several um, uh, ideas uh, for additional outreach um, and for um, uh, to to find uh, additional COP holders, including um, the uh, extension of the um, contract. Um, to find current contact information, um, genealogy, scanning the current reports so it's easier for MOCD um, to certify people who believe that they're COP holders. Um, that's just a few of the ideas. Um, again, uh, there is um, uh, there is a chunk of money to um, for these activities, um, and um, if we believe that the Muni um, advertising is a good idea, then um, absolutely we will start that um, in, in the new fiscal year. Yeah. Muni has been just really at the top of our list for that, and we've said over and over, and it would be great. Now, my thought is with this project, and we're starting March, did you say? And oh, with active, with active outreach? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it ends at what time? And is that enough time when we're giving uh, COP holders for this uh, housing at 200,000, 250? Is that enough time? Co Commissioner, if I may, just through the chair, okay. pardon my interruption. Um, okay. uh, if you can, Pam, just to differentiate between the early outreach that's already gone on, including muni ads that have already been conducted 
and with the price-specific marketing that is about to begin at this approval. This approval is the linchpin moment to begin that specific outreach with pricing included, but outreach has been going on for many months now. Correct. Right. So, um, and uh, Director Kozlovsky is absolutely correct. Uh, outreach has been going on since July 2022. Um, and I have Michael Simmons here, and he can give additional out. Um, details on the outreach that has occurred. Um, as for Muni, um, I don't know what we have at the Muni stops, and, and again, Michael is fantastic at this, um, but at the Mission Rock stop and at the UCSF stop, we have huge uh, posters uh, advertising this particular project. Um, so um, the word definitely is, is getting out there. Um, and so I'd like to introduce Michael Simmons. Thank you. Thank you, Thor. Hi, I'm Michael Simmons. Um, I'm working with Charmaine Curtis and Young Community Developers on this project. Um, and we've done some early outreach. And so I'd like to, I can just give you kind of a little brief outline of what we've done. Um, so we've approached outreach in three phases. Uh, the first phase is kind of early outreach, which was when we started construction. And so um, the second was sort of coming soon, which we started last fall. And then the third will start in March when we actually do official marketing. So for the first uh, phase, the early outreach, we did postcards to certificate of preference holders. Um, we did flyers to displaced tenants and also flyers to people in, in Mission Bay uh, District 6 because those were our preferences. Um, we also started conversations and working with SFHDC back in October of 2022 um, because they focus on certificate of preference holders. And then... Um, I, because I did another project 13 years ago in the uh, Fillmore Park and things have changed, I, I really thought that social media might play a role in this. So I reached out to uh, Melanie and Melora Green and started to talk about, um, you know, what um, to try to get a social media person on. Um, and I could talk a little bit more about that, but that's kind of where we started. On the, on the second phase, the coming soon part, um, we um, we were trying to get the people the project on people's radar and to do a lot of early work around counseling, getting their budget and savings together, and kind of general awareness of the project. So we have a contract with Homeownership SF to provide workshops and individual counseling. Um, and then we wanted to do kind of this work with sort of great intention. So. Um, I put together a team, or we put together a team of really culturally aware people. So you'll notice if any, if you've looked at our website, we've really stressed the need to have black and brown people in all of our work. And so if you look at any of our pictures and stuff, we always have black and brown people um, to let people know that this work is really, for, this project is really for them. And, um, and it also, uh, it started with sort of our infrastructure, our infrastructure, our websites, the videos, the collateral material, and even down to the voiceover on our uh, video, we actually specifically found a person of color to do that that voiceover, just to just to kind of let people know that this is really for for them. Um, and then um, we um, we did sort of a lot of focus on 
uh, companies that have diverse workforces. So um, MTA, uh, DPW, um, healthcare workers, teachers. We've really focused on those groups of people because they have a diverse workforce. Um, we also have worked with Chase Manhattan Bank, which also has a diverse uh, workforce. And then we've put ads in the Pachero View, and then we have, um, working with MTA, we have sh the bus shelters on 3rd Street for Mission Rock and UCSF, so you can see it if you're on the train, but you can also see it if you're driving down 3rd Street. Um, and so we have about 600 people have signed up, and we have about 18 certificate holders that we're working with. We actually, just so that we could really keep track of the certificate holders, we've brought them in-house. We have a special email. Uh, it's called the COP holder email, and we've been just communicating directly with those certificate holders, and, we're, and four of them are descendants. And then we're going to begin to kind of have some events. Um, the other thing we've tried to do is really support minority businesses. So, um, like we're working with Andrea Baker on some of the events that we have coming up. Um, we have three open houses that we have to do as part of the project. And um, one of the things I've been trying to do recently is reach, like, um, so my theory in kind of this work is that, you know, every African-American person particularly or black and brown live in the Bayview or, um, or the Western Edition. They really live all over the, the Bay Area. So one of the ideas that I had is if we could reach people really through the arts. So I, I've kind of reached out to uh, the African-American Shakespeare Company, um, the African-American Chamber of Commerce, Alonzo King, and um, the Cultural Center to see if we could, uh, you know, put ads in their programs, but also if we can purchase their mailing list to send out through their mailing list. So that's some of the other things that I've been trying to work on. And then we also have tried to do the local level. So we have 500 flyers going up in local businesses and then about 3,000 postcards going out. So I'm hoping that that will kind of let people know more about the project and sort of reach, um, you know, sort of a diverse, a diverse group of people. And then come um, March, we'll actually work on kind of more of a traditional um, marketing per the MOC, MOHCD structure. And, but we also, and finally, I'll, I'll stop, but we have started this sort of step up to home ownership program. So anyone who's on our email, every three weeks we'll get an email that says, step one, get your home buyer workshop underway. Step two, uh, get your pre-approval letter. Step three, you know, come attend one of our workshop, uh, workshops. So I'm really trying to like give people action items so they'll know what, know what to do. Thank you for that presentation. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask our commission to take a quick five-minute um, break, and we'll be right back to finish this item.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
We are now calling the commission back into order, um, and I will move over to my fellow commissioner, um, um, Commissioner Drew, if you have any additional comments or questions from this item. Uh, no additional uh, comments for me. Thank you. Commissioner Aquino. Uh, yes, I do. I just want to, well, actually, first of all, I'd just like to applaud Pam and the team on this amazing work. Um, when you were throughout the presentation, I was like giggling inside and um, just excited about the project that is coming together and to hear how affordable it will be for families. Um, my, in my head, it exploded, but not physically. But I think um, that's really exciting news and unheard of, I think, as a native San Franciscan, as many others in this room. So, um, and the gentleman that spoke uh, earlier, thank you for that information. And I'm glad that you're reaching out to the arts because I actually was thinking of one, um, and forgive me the name of the organization that um, is in the Fillmore district and they do arts and everything, but also not just them, but also the organizations in, each, in, in different neighborhoods like um, their neighborhood associations. Um, and I know you also mentioned the social media, which I think that targets the, those that are active on social media, which I think it's fantastic. And I do think of those that are, are seniors and those that are not savvy with computers or even their phones. Um, I think um, it's good to target via radio, like the local radio stations. Um, I don't listen to radio myself, but KNBR, I mean, I know the AM stations are still around. I know there's also the news department. Um, not necessarily like, uh, it could be news, but it could be like segments. They do stories. Um, in an interview, the gentleman that was the contractor, I'm just, um, and maybe have them also reach out to the Latino community, like um, the uh, Univision, and then the Asian TV community as well. So, but overall, I'm just applauding you all for this hard work and um, thank you for what you're doing. I'm excited to see this come to fruition. So thank you so much, all of you. If I can, just one for Michael. And I think it's, is that Michael? Michael, yes. So again, thank you and I just had to go Wow, okay, <laughs> doing some work and much appreciated. And so again, I would like to add to that the institutions, our churches, cross-denomination, religion. If we can get uh, your attention with that, and that goes a long ways. Um, and then the outreach organizations such as the African American Arts and Cultural, uh, District 10, District 5, and 11, OMI, you will really reach the city through that because all those grannies like me and great grannies, we've got people all over the city so uh, and Bay Area. But great job, great job. So that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I also want to commend the team for um, the work that you guys have been doing and intentionality around um, reach outreach and partnering with various different stakeholders. I would just like to again kind of talk back and bring us back to where, um, give me one second, um, in terms of our process as OCII, um, I noticed that um, outreach started back in July of 2022. Um, however, no outreach was done in D10. Um, the outreach was done on the neighborhoods, which was D6. Um, as we know, D6 um, and Mission Bay is a fairly new development and residential area. Most of the people that live there just moved there and they're fine where they are. Um, that outreach should have been done to the places where um, people have been living longer. Um, Fillmore, Sunset, Chinatown, Bayview, Visitation Valley, it's almost like we're outreaching and providing that opportunity to the same people who already just got housing. So um, I do appreciate that you do have that marketing there because there are people who pass through those neighborhoods from other neighborhoods that might see it, like maybe going to a Giants game or to a Chase Center game. They may see that, you know, and UCSF, you know, if they have children, they'll see it. But really would like to see um, our outreach kind of, um, and it's no ding on you, I think it's more of how the, our marketing plan is written. Right now our marketing plan is written towards neighborhood preference, so it's the neighborhood of that development. So when we're talking about neighborhood preference, we're, and if you're doing neighborhood preference in Mission Bay, you're only marketing the Mission Bay. Neighborhood preference in Trans Bay, you're only marketing the neighborhood um, Trans Bay. And so I think we really need to um, look back on our, maybe our process or our um, policies around um, what that marketing plan looks like earlier so that we can get in some of this and kind of learn from what Mr. Simmons is doing right right now and incorporate that into a standard way that we um, require outreach. So um, using this as a teaching moment and also taking all the good things that you did and implementing that in some of our processes. I also noticed um, there was also a missing link within the Latino community. I would like to see um, outreach done to possibly Latinos task force or META um, being um, included in some of this outreach as well as Mega Black um, and also some of the other organizations where there can be a large access to African American community, potentially KPU radio station as well as Singtow newsletter, I mean newspaper. Um, those are some other really ways to um, really tap into the community and be able to um, um, also offer um, some of this marketing in other languages. So Singtao would be um, in the Chinese language. And then um, I always keep forgetting the name of the newspaper in the mission. Um, and they do Tecolote. Spanish. Yeah, Tecolote. Tecolote. Tecolote um, to get some Spanish language um, marketing as well. Um, and it may not happen on this project because um, we're kind of, you know, to the finish line almost. March is literally less than 60 days away. Um, but in whatever ways we can outreach to those communities and in multilingual, because as we know, um, we are a city of people who speak many different languages and um, some people just can't read in English and they do want opportunity to purchase as well. So, um, oh yes, the Sun Reporter is in their um, outreach. It is. Yes, so in their marketing plan, they already have Sun Reporter in the Bayview that they're going to be working with in February. So those are already on their list. I saw that. So thank you for that as well. Um, we appreciate that. Um, also kind of want to back up in terms of um, the Dahlia process, in terms of 
the application process. I'm thankful that um, Mr. Simmons mentioned that one of the first steps for um, getting into these properties is um, applying on Dahlia and then also going through the first time home buyer workshops and getting that certificate. And so it's come to my attention that there's been some challenges with that um, in terms of some of our housing providers have created new limitations before and new barriers for people to get issued the certificates. Um, I know that in the past, certificates were issued upon completion of the eight hours of training or 10 hours of training, depending on which housing provider was it. Um, I'm hearing now that something has changed, that they are not learning, no longer getting the certificates um, of completion until they correct either their credit or some other things, which also slows up the process um, for um, BMR home buying opportunities. So I would hope that we can have a discussion with MOHCD to ensure that that doesn't happen in this place and that um, we also are seeing um, since COVID in the last couple of years, a lot of our um, first time home buyer um, workshops are oversubscribed. So there's not space for people who wanna get in to be able to get um, on. And so really being intentional with maybe talking with our housing providers um, to add, ask them to add additional classes specifically to ensure that people that want to get in on this home buyer opportunity are not turned away. Maybe they can create a waiting list and reach out to those people and let them know, hey, if you're trying to get in, maybe we can, you know, if you're still doing it by Zoom, it's nothing to add an extra couple people to the Zoom. We want to make sure that it's not an impediment that they don't have their housing certificate. And I know you only get three chances in between now and March or whatever to get that certificate. It's really a short window. Um, um, I would also like to see there be some outreach with um, potentially Kathy Davis and the senior home. Um, they also have connections with COP holders that may not have had their certificates yet or their grandchildren. So to ensure that um, the word is getting out that the younger people have an opportunity to buy, like we said, this is a once in a lifetime pricing, um, not just the pricing, but the interest rate as well. And we wanna make sure as many people know about this opportunity as possible. Um, Um, there was also, uh, sorry. Oh, also wanted to just quickly mention that um, us as a commission, right before the pandemic, we had made a promise that we would break up into subcommittees and that um, each commissioner would take the lead on a specific topic. And so I'd really like to see um, Director Koslowski that we actually do that. Um, and that may help us as OCII to also potentially help to um, promote or have public style meetings where we can give information about our um, housing opportunities. So I remember we were supposed to break it up into four things. It was housing, business, um, and I cannot remember the other one off the top of my head, but um, just wanted to mention that. And then lastly, um, 
I know these AMI tiers were kind of um, predetermined based on what we thought would be the affordability of the housing. However, um, in this current climate, um, as we know, there's been a lot of new laws passed around um, affordability and first-time home ownership and ways in which that um, personal people can use, whether it be their retirement funds to um, pay down the principal of the loan to get them in to purchasing um, um, properties um, that may have been out of their reach. So um, I would really like to see if it's possible to work on something that would allow, um, as we know, most incoming teachers are not at 80% AMI. Um, teachers in our um, city are about at 65% to 70% AMI. Right now, they'd be restricted from buying in this property. Um, so I'd like to see the ways in which um, the development team could be flexible around um, allowing them to buy down, like by um, doing maybe an early distribution from their retirement fund. Um, maybe it's they're pulling out 50000 to bring down that purchase price so that they can still qualify <coughs> to purchase. So um, not sure if you guys have any feedback about how that might be able to be accomplished or the layering of down payment assistance programs. So as we know, we have multiple different ones in San Francisco. We have the DALP. Um, Mayor Breed's um, Dreamkeeper Initiative has the 500,000 um, down payment assistance program. And then there's other statewide ones. There's ones that are being offered by financial institutions. And so I'd like to hear um, what can be done to, you know, I know it's set at 80 to 100%, but what can be done to potentially allow someone who has quick access to those funds to get into a purchasing opportunity? Thank you, Chair Brackett. Um, actually, the AMI levels, the 80 to 110% AMI, they're at the maximum. That's the maximum. So oftentimes, um, if somebody comes in with 70% AMI, um, there is down payment assistance, and most CD staff works with those home buyers to provide DALP so they can qualify. Um, we can't go much lower than that um, because there's still property taxes, um, special assessments that might be made. So we don't want to put the home buyer in jeopardy of losing their housing. Um, but 70%, 75%, that's very doable. No, I, I understand that. That's why I was saying in terms of them praying down the principal. I know we don't want to put people in homes where we know that the HOAs could go higher and then they're right. stuck. Um, I mean, in the way where they're not looking at the, the, the principal balance being 260 because they're putting more down than someone else Correct. normally would because they're drawing from other funds. Correct. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, I know at a certain AMI, they can't afford it, you know, especially for this project. You're talking about um, you need a, about 2700 a month to cover HOA and um, mortgage and mortgage and, and PMI tax. and insurance and stuff like that. Um, I did have one quick question about flood insurance, but I guess we can talk about that later or I don't know if you guys. Um, uh, we don't require flooding. We're not requiring flood insurance. Um, also, um, and um, again, Michael Simmons can address more details, um, but also in construction, we um, increase the height of our development um, by four feet, I believe, um, uh, to take into account global warming and um, the rising water level. Okay, thank you. So we're you. good. I know, because that was another thing that came up last year with the, um, how was that, the civil the civil grand jury report around sea rising and stuff like that. So I just wanted to make sure that if this is an affordable project, that 
you know, 10 years from now or five years from now, the city doesn't come and say to these people, you need to have flood insurance because you know how high that is. That's almost 1,200 additional every year and that could like put them in jeopardy as well, so. The flood insurance would only apply to the building and not the, um, and not the unit. So, it's, um, but, uh, but you know, one of the things that we did really intensely on this deal, uh, on this project is we, um, we keep the we kept the HOAs very low, so we we tried to stay away from common systems in the project. So there's no big boilers or anything like that. Everyone has their own water heater. They have their own electrical bill. The build the building's all electric, so they don't have to convert down the road. And then we have large PV panels. So we've done a lot of stuff to keep the HOA low. Uh, so so I think I think their HOAs should be pretty stable. And then in terms of getting down, you know, to let's say 65% or something like that, there are, you know, if, for instance, for teachers, we have the Teachers Next Door program, which gives about $20,000. So we can actually, you know, uh, for, for people who are good with their finances, we can get them, we can get them there. If, you know, we don't want to, like, people who are missing payments and things like that, we don't want to yeah. make them more at Jeopardy. But, um, but we have in the past done that with people where they've come in with larger down payments or we've been able to get them through, um, uh, through different uh, subsidies and things like that to get them down. So we can, if, if they come in, they can qualify for a mortgage, we can, we can make it work. Yeah, because I just really see this as a great opportunity for some of our city workers yeah. um, who are kind of getting lower pay. They're not up, you know, they're not getting paid a ton of yeah. money to have an opportunity to buy and use some of their resources that may, you know, like a, like I was saying, yeah. a retirement fund. They can't really touch it, but in this case, this would be an amazing opportunity, even if we can get four or five buyers in that range. That would be great. Yeah, and then for teachers, we... Um, to really make sure we reach them, we're actually sending mailers to each of the schools and asking the principals to give them to the teachers. So there are 6,000 postcards in my living room right now, and they're going out in the next week or so to teachers. So we're going we're gonna to reach them. Thank you. Thanks. And if my fellow commissioners have any additional questions or uh, we would like to entertain a motion at this time. Mm -hmm. Madam Chair, I move that we approve of resolution 5F number 04-2024. I second. Madam Secretary, please call the roll. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5F when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Lim. Yes. Vice Chair Scott. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Yes. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The motion carries. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Next item is number 5G, authorizing a First Amendment to the Personal Services Contract with Links, Insights, and Investigations, Inc., a California corporation to increase the contract amount by $75,000 for an aggregate amount of $304,570,000 excuse me, $304,570, and to extend the term for an additional six months. Discussion and action, resolution number 05-2024. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Members of the commission, members of the public, um, this item is authorizing a continuation of the investigative and outreach work with links, 
and new community leadership foundation to locate and confirm the contact information for a certificate of preference holders are on file with OCII. To present this item is once again, Pam Sim, Senior Development Specialist with OCII. Pam. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Commissioners, Executive Director Kozlowski. Again, I'm Pam Sim, Senior Housing Development Specialist in the Housing Division. And I am here, oh, sh uh, one second, please. Okay, now we're ready. And I'm here today to introduce item 5G, which is a request for your authorization to enter into a first amendment to the personal services contract or contract with links, insights, and investigations or links in partnership with New Community Leadership Foundation or NCLF for an amount not to exceed $75,000 to continue locating and confirming contact information for individuals displaced by the former redevelopment agency action, and to provide results achieved under the original contract. And first, I'd like to provide a little background information. So as a refresher, the COP program was established in 1967, and it implements state law requiring us to prioritize low and moderate income households who have been displaced due to SFRA action in the 1960s and 1970s, in, and the priority is in renting or buying affordable housing. Initially, only heads of households were eligible for a certificate of preference, but then in 1998, the program eligibility was expanded to include minor children and adults who were not heads of households at times of displacement. In 2008, the Board of Supervisors provided COP holders with the ability to use their certificates in city-funded affordable housing projects. A total of 5,829 San Francisco households or 12,200 plus individuals from the Western Edition A2 and Hunters Point redevelopment project areas directly experienced displacement because of redevelopment activities. The scope of work under the original contract was to obtain and confirm current contact information for these individuals. The contracting team began with the data that was gathered in 2009 and completed in 2010 by the Keene Group, which provided important familial information for the 12,200 plus displacees. Unfortunately, what was not known about the Keene data was how complete the identifying data or date of birth and social security number information would be. The contractor selection process began in December 2020 when staff released a request for proposals to locate and confirm current contact information for individuals displaced in the Western Edition A2 and Hunters Point project areas. Housing and contract compliance staff notified over 100 nonprofit groups, organizations, and individuals of the opportunity. 
Ultimately, a total of six responses were received and the three most <clears throat> responsive teams were interviewed. Links working with NCLF and Elise Vincent Consulting were scored highest and selected by the interview panel. And now I'd like to introduce Giles Miller, the principal at Lynx, and Majid Crawford, the executive director for NCLF, and they will present the results found under the original contract. Uh, my name is Majid Crawford, executive director of New Community Leadership Foundation. And uh, just really just want to thank the, the uh, commissioners and director and staff for this opportunity to do this amazing historic work that we did. And we're really excited about, uh, pop, uh, the, uh, excited about continuing to do the work. This was truly a community-driven effort um, with uh, top of his class investigators and uh, outreach specialists um, where we trained the community to do the work. And so... Most of our staff came from community, and over half of our, our staff was actually in, uh, CLP holders themselves. And initially, the training process was, was a little slow because we wanted to take the time needed to, to really train them, for them to be comfortable. But once we, uh, things started rolling, things started happening. Um, so I'm just going to uh, quickly go over this, this first sheet. Uh, we created a press release and website to engage certificate holders. We search uh, the records of displaced without, without birth dates and social security numbers. We hired to train individuals from impacted communities, and we obtained contact information for 460 displaced, displacees and obtained contact information for 617 descendants. And one thing I do is it is a little bit of a, uh, we do like to kind of clarify that uh, our work dealt with head of households and dependents. So those are the people that were living in the house at the time of displacement. But we also worked with descendants who didn't live in the house at the time of displacement, but their uh, relatives of the people who lived there, children, grandkids, great-grandchildren. Hello, my name is Giles Miller, principal with Lynx Insights. Um, it's been a real uh, pleasure and a privilege to share the toolbox that Lynx has, the investigative toolbox, with the community members and to engage in this process uh, with them to do this important work. Um, so picking up where Majid left off, um, we, uh, during our phase one work, were able to identify one quarter of the displaced people in the database we were provided. That's 3,000 and 25 people, um, and I want to just go through, um, we've got three categories of who these people were. Um, the, the first group are displaced people who we contacted. Um, as, as Majid mentioned, there are head of households in these records where we have a, a date of birth and a social security number for them, and then there are the dependents, and, and the dependents are, um, primarily just a first name and an age in these records, which is not a lot of information to go with when you're trying to con uh, identify someone's whereabouts 50 years later. Um, so uh, I just wanted to sort of walk you through quickly how we worked a record to find one of these people, because most of the people we actually contacted were children at the time of displacement, and we had a first name and an age. 
to work with, right? So um, our process was, number one, we conducted a bulk database search um, on the head of household specifically because that was the name where we also had a date of birth, full date of birth and uh, sometimes a social security to, uh, number to work with. And we included in that database a search um, called possible relatives, right? And so it would give us six names of people that the database thought might be a relative. Um, second uh, part of the job was to match these names with the dependents in the record, right? So you have a, a Mary who's a possible relative and you have a Mary who's a, a dependent. Mary, age nine, was displaced from her home in 1969. Well, this would be one of the first people we called. And so uh, the bulk database search would give us phone numbers uh, to call. And so our first, you know, we just picked up the phone. We had, you know, the community investigators trained up to do this work, picking up phones, making calls, um, first to the dependents and then to potential descendants, right? Any member of the family, we're trying to get tap into the family network, right, to, to make contact. Um, sometimes we get through on those initial calls, but usually we don't, right? Additional research is needed, database research, social media research, genealogical research. There's just a lot of connections that need to be made when you're working a record like this, and you have to take it one step at a time. Um, and then um, once we've done that, we get new phone numbers, we keep making those calls, and we finally make contact with a family member. Um, at that point, we have to win their trust, tell them what we're doing. It's a little abstract. It might be a little traumatic for them to be getting this call now, 50 years later, and hearing about this maybe for the first time. Um, we make that connection with them. We, tap, we ask them about the other family members. We get information about who's who, and we enter that into our database. And um, at the end of the call, we, uh, we ask for an email address, which is something people will often give. And we send a follow-up email to them with contact information for MOHCD and with like, specific information for their family that they're going to need, like the date of displacement, the address of displacement, the head of household's full name. All these things are, you know, 50 years, you're, people don't always know this information, right? And so we really kind of queued people up to be able to call, you know, take the next step of reaching out to the mayor's office and, and, and signing up for a COP. Um, just, so that's, that's, that's what happened with the, that first item right there. We, we also have located non-responsive 211 individuals. These are people we located, but they didn't kind of get in touch with us. Give you two examples. Um, we find a phone number, person has a live voicemail, it's their name, but they don't return our calls. You know, we make several calls and then that's, that's it. We haven't talked to them, but we've made a good diligent effort to get in touch with them. Another example is we reach a descendant and um, they let us know that the, the, say their mother is not in a state that, where she can answer the phone. You know, she might have a physical or mental impairment She's just not gonna be able to get on the phone with us. We make the connection with them, but we mark that displaced person located non-responsive. And finally, we have uh, the, the de deceased uh, individuals, 2,358. Um, 
And I'll, I'll say that about 1,500 of those came back immediately with our bulk database research. But you know, the additional over 800 people is where we're searching online obituaries, we're doing genealogical research to find death records that way, we're talking to family members and learning that someone has, has passed. Um, and uh, so that is, that is those three categories, um, and that's our results from the phase one research. I'll give it back to Majid. So uh, three quarters of the, the displaced person has not been identified yet. And so there's, there's a few categories here, and this is kind of uh, an exciting part because it kind of gives a roadmap to how we could find the rest of the displaced people. And so the first category, not located after investigative outreach. So this is where we had investigated lead, but we just wasn't able to outreach, find this person. And that's 362 people. The second one is where we have an investigated lead. And so, um, and this, is, this section is where uh, the phase two will come in. So we have the investigated lead, we was working those records, but uh, the contract, the funds ran out in, in that process. And so there's 2,124 where we have investigative leads and we're proposing that we will we could, uh, find up to 1,200 of these individuals. The next one is further research needed, that's 4,261. And so we use a bulk database and that's basically, we took the Excel sheet that we had, we put it into, you know, in, in layman's term, put it into this system and it gave us a whole bunch of, uh, Leads. How many leads was, was identified as investigative, ready to work? Um, the, to the beginning, yeah, the beginning. Was, was, yeah, 3,000 and change, 3,800, I believe. So 3,800 we got back saying, hey, this is the person, we found this person, we found their relatives here, here's their current contact information, go ahead and start working these records. But in that bulk database search, 4,261, it came back inconclusive. And so what that means is that they may have found maybe 12 names and the, and, the, and the database couldn't necessarily say, hey, conclusively. So what that means for us is now we gotta go, we gotta kinda do the one-off search now. So we gotta put that one name into the database. We get 12 names, we get 50 names. And then we gotta decide, we gotta look through each one to see which one um, is, is that possible person. And so, you know, some of it could be easy. It could be a bunch of people from out of state. It might be a few that's locally, so we start with them. But as we know, in, in, this, in this research, we did find that a lot of people were living in out of state, you know. So, so that's this part. In, um, and, in, and in the last one, I'm going to let uh, Giles speak to. Yeah, so uh, a certain number of the records in the spreadsheet were given had only a name only for the head of household. Um, these are difficult records to work with, right? Just a name, that's what you have. Uh, this person lived in San Francisco 50 years ago. Um, these are the hardest records to work. So you, you see we're, we're, we're going after the easiest records to work first and, and moving down to these name-only records. Um, and you know, I, I, we have to say, you know, the reality is some of these people we are never gonna find, right? These, are, these were marginal people then in, in some situations. And, and, and people fall through the cracks, right? It's just the reality that we're not gonna find everybody, but we did still take a look at this pool of records, and, and we did see that, we, we took a small sample, I think it was 40 records, 
and we looked into, you know, Pam had given us access to the underlying paper records, PDFs of them, um, and we took a look at the underlying records, and we did find that for um, a little under half of these records, the key yeah, a little under half of these records, where in the Keene report there was no database, date of birth, or social security number, going through pages and pages of PDFs of handwritten records from 50 years ago, we found some piece of information. We found a date of birth. We found a social. And so we do think these records are possible to work. Um, they would just be last in our, you know, we, we got to go with the easiest records to work and move down from there. So the descendants, and these are the, uh, so we were able to identify 617 descendants that we put in, in our spreadsheet that we present to OCI. And so while descendants weren't part of our scope of work, we found that in our research, in our, we, they, they, they were the, the easiest people to get on the phone. And so with one household, you know, we could literally spend a ton amount of time going through, you know, 30, 40 cousins, but, but that's not necessarily our scope of work. And so what we did was we, when we contacted the descendant, that, that we put them in our system, but we also deputized them. We gave them all the information they needed in order to talk to their cousins, talk to the other descendants in the household and, and reach out. And in many cases, I've gotten an email, I got several, dozens of emails where there's, they're sending me a list of 20 different family members. And so a lot of the, the, the flood of calls that MOEC received were from descendants, and these were people that we deputized to go into their family and reach out to all their cousins. And, and this pool of people, like we actually, along the way, we partnered with you know, the George Davis Senior Center in different places where we referred, made referrals. So there's placements that came out of it. And so there's just a tremendous amount of uh, excitement uh, in, in that community. And there's other innovations. I don't want to take up too much time, but one thing that, that uh, we try to encourage is for people to have, uh, and, and possibly MOECD, is have like, kind of like a family where the whole family comes in, we'll do MOECD, and they get their, they, they get their COP. That will save uh, MOEC a lot of time. Instead of doing 20 different individual ones, we can have a party. It could be, it could, or they all go down, and you could process one whole family of 20 people all at one time. That would save significant amount of time. So there's a lot of innovations that we learned that we definitely would love to see about implementing. And did I leave anything out with descendants? Okay. Okay. So yeah, uh, last slide for us is just talking about the, the challenges in the project. You know, going into this, we knew mm -hmm. that a, a big challenge was gonna be finding the dependents. The people most likely to be surviving today are first names and ages. And so to tackle that challenge, we tapped into family networks. That worked very well for us. Um, but, you know, we found that, yeah, the length of time to contact a family member was longer than we anticipated. I think our original estimate was 45 minutes per person. We um, started, you know, in the beginning, it was three plus hours per person. By the end of the project, we had it down to about an hour and a half per person of investigator time to locate a, a, a displaced person. Um, 
Another uh, unforeseen uh, challenge that we encountered was that there were less social security numbers than we believed there would be, right? And so a social security number, you put it into a database, it's, if the number's right, it, it, you'll, you're gonna get a result. If you have just a name and a date of birth, then it kind of depends on the name. John Roberts, born on a date, you'll, you might have 10, 15 John Roberts born on a date in the United States, right? Um, and so those were the challenges we, um, we, we encountered, um, but we made good progress. And so we, we're feeling pretty confident that we you know, can pick up work again um, uh, with all, all the, the, the kind of insights and workflow processes that we, that we put together in the first phase and, and hit the ground running in a second phase. So, which brings me to the request before you today. So we're requesting your authorization to provide $75,000 for phase two work, which will allow the Lynx team to continue working on the 2,124 individuals where investigative leads were identified. <clears throat> During the six month period um, extension, the team will collect updated contact information for between 800 and 1,200 displacees, plus contact information for between 600 and 800 descendants as the investigators are looking for original displacees. The anticipated schedule as it stands now is for the Lynx team to begin hiring investigators in February. And actually, we just recently learned that um, many of the original investigators are excited to continue the work, so they will be working on the phase two um, if, if authorized today. Um, so the investigators will be hired, um, and the work actually begins in March. It'll continue through June, and the findings will be presented to OCI and MOCD in June, July, and then it'll be presented to the commission in July, August. So that concludes my presentation. Uh, Majid Crawford, Giles Miller, and I'd like to also introduce uh, several of the investigators who actually worked on this um, project. And if you wouldn't mind standing up, please. Hey. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, I want to find That's some wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that thorough presentation. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please see if um, we have any members of the public who would like to provide public comment at this time? If there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment for this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-121-7001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star, then three to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you, already are, on, if you are already on the phone with us, Please press star three if you would like to provide public comment. And we'll begin by inviting everyone who's here in person um, who wishes to speak to please come up to the podium. Mr. James. Oh, sorry. Oh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're right there. Thank you. Hi, Chair. My name is Lynette Mackey. Thank you for the opportunity to be here to speak. 
I want to speak on behalf of the Certificate of Preference investigation. Start out by saying I am, I was displaced. My grandfather home was taken and so was my mom. So I am a Certificate of Preference holder. So I know and hold this true to my heart how it feels. So when I make that phone call, I'm calling from the heart because I've been in the same shoes that they're in. But I do want to say the joy of doing this job to find people that didn't know about the certificate. I informed them, they got the certificate, and they're calling me back to tell me about the, their new place they got. That's the joy of this job. I'm finding so many people that had no knowledge of the descendant program or that it used to be only the head of household. So that's really a joy to know that these people are getting homes, getting housing. There's a lot of homeless people and we're reaching those people as well. It's not as easy to reach, but we're reaching those. Some of those homeless people are no longer on the streets. They went in, got a certificate, called and helped, and we got housing. So this is working, and I would love the opportunity to continue to do this work and to continue to reach out into the community to help some of those people that have no knowledge, or those that have knowledge, to help them walk through the process of getting their certificate. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oscar James again, I know you're tired of me. <laughs> Never. I have family members who moved to Madero and they got in contact with them. One's in Madero and another one's in, uh, what is it, uh, where the relay is, Fresno. I also have a friend who called me and said people had gotten in contact with him about his certificate and he was in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay, I have another friend who was in uh, uh, I forgot where he's he's from uh, Lovejoy, Illinois, uh, who's gotten in contact with me, asking me about people's calling them, asking them about their certificate. I'm a certificate holder also, and I'm proud to say my certificate is displayed in the. Uh, the uh, reparations uh, booklet um, and have my two kids that was on there also. Uh, but it's a lot of, like I say, it's a lot of people that was on Navy Road has never got a certificate. They had toured down Navy Road before these certificates ever came out. So it's a lot of people who were displaced and they do not know that they have a certificate, nor do the agency have a record of them? They would have to go before the uh, housing authority uh, who had records before the old wartime barracks were turned over to the, uh, the redevelopment agency to get those names of the peoples who were displaced. And I know for a fact a lot of peoples in Western Addition never got certificates of, uh, of preference who buildings were tore down and they were displaced and never received the certificate. And, and uh, uh, a lot of people get in contact with me and say, well, I, I know my parents live such and such a place, and I know for a fact because, you know, we ran together, friends and what have you, and I know they have certificates, but they come to the agency and say, no, you don't have a certificate, blah, blah, blah. And they have certificates. If they have to go to the, the, the junior high schools, the grammar schools, and what have you, and get those records, 
then that'd be the that'd be a, a, a source of them getting their addresses because, like I said, a lot of people's the buildings were tore down. They never received the certificates, but they're the ones who is doing this work are doing a tremendous job, and I commend them to the highest. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. James. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, Commissioners, team. Thank you so much for all that you guys do in community. My name is Kim Caldwell, and I'm one of the investigators. And although I was, my family was not displaced, I am the goddaughter of the late Reverend Dr. Hannibal A. Williams and the great niece by way of my godparents of Bishop Wilbur Hamilton, who stood in front of many bulldozers during that time for families that were displaced. The people that come up here today they won't even be able to describe to you some of the conversations that we had with people on these phones, the tears that we cried with them in community hearing some of the stories. This initiative through NCLF and LINCS is not only about supporting reparations and people getting housing, it's about renewing the faith of humanity for those displaced people in San Francisco, renewing the faith of those in our system, in our government here in San Francisco. There are two stories I want to share with you. One of one of the people that I contacted who was the child, that they were displaced, and, and I forgive me, I can't remember if it was during Thanksgiving or Christmas, but they were displaced and had to move during one of the major holidays. He remembers the trauma that his parents went through during that time and the long effects of losing their housing. And I was the first person that he was able to kind of tell this story to. The training that we got from NCLF and, and, and links to prepare us for this was amazing. But really, their forethought of hiring people from community to do it was huge because we grew up in the Fillmore and Sunnydale Visitation Valley, Hunters Point area. So although maybe we weren't displaced, we understood the trauma being within these communities. And so we were able to connect because it's not easy getting someone on the phone, even if you're giving something away. They are so traumatized by what their families and their descendants went to. It takes a lot of cajoling, texting, and emailing, and showing proof of who we are, sending videos, and things of that nature. The second one is of a descendant, uh, The it, the certificate of preference holder, uh, the, um, the child, and then the grandchild. I got a hold of the grandchild. She just recently had lost her father. And she said how her father was the brick 
and passing away, no more being able to talk to him to get encouragement. My phone call said it was a sign to her that he is still around. This is amazing work, and we hope to continue to do it, and we're making great strides. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Charmaine Star Quinine, and it is a pleasure to be before you all. And I just want to say I had the most amazing time working on this project as an investigator. I, too, am a certificate of preference holder and would not be living in San Francisco at this time had it not been for the certificate of preference program. I learned so much um, in that time and working with these families. I also was able to help my own family become certificate of preference holders. My grandmother was, uh, she had eight children at the time of displacement and I was one years old in her house at the time of displacement. And then later during our investigations was able to find out that my great grandmother was displaced as well. So it has just been an honor to be able to help families find affordable housing in San Francisco and give back this wonderful opportunity to help them be able to live in a city where we were raised and born and be able to afford to stay here. So I just want to say thanks to Lynx and to NCLF for this opportunity. And we definitely need to keep going. And there are more families out there that need our help to find uh, this program and to bring them back to San Francisco. So I just thank you all for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everyone, thank you again for allowing me to come before you. My name is Alonzo Menelik Abdul Rahim. And the certificate for preference for the certificate of preference, uh, I applied for a certificate of preference, and I lived in Hunters Point. I lived in Navy Road, what Oscar was speaking of. Um, I lived at 57 Navy Road, building 18, Section D. My phone number was going to 65525. I went to uh, Hunters Point Two Elementary School. Uh, I was born in 1948. My father came out here from the South trying to uh, get, find a better way for his family. I was born here, the only one in my family that was born here. Long story short, I uh, applied for the preference, a certificate, certificate, certificate of preference, uh, and they said that they couldn't find anything on me. They couldn't find anything on my father, on my mother, none of my relatives could they find anything. Uh, so I, I'm going to apply with this new investigative team and see if I can be revitalized. Hopefully I'll be able to, maybe able to, uh, with their due diligence and research, come up with uh, some of my family members, uh, including myself, to uh, be able to get the opportunity to, to be uh, given a certificate of preference. But we also have to be realizing to ourselves and admit the reality that there are some people who didn't want to see this. There was people who were in places of influential decision-making that didn't want to see the certificate of preference be given to the people, and especially their, their, their descendants. 
But I thank you. Uh, excellent, excellent job you're doing. Thank you. Are there any other speakers in person who'd like to come up? And to the members of the public, if there are any members of the public who have joined us remotely, if you'd like to um, provide public comment, now is the time to press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any other members of the public wishing to speak. Seeing no more um, public comment, we will now close public comment and I'll refer to my fellow commissioners. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, um, we will start with Commissioner Lim. My grandmother is not here, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Dr. Scott. just want to thank you, Pam, the team, Giles, Majid, and all that's done work on this. Uh, the ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Much needed, much needed. And we've come a long ways and we see a much brighter light. And I'm just, and Michael Williams again, um, I am inspired and encouraged. And I do know, Mr. Crawford, that with your team and this work, we can reach so many more. Our churches need to be involved. We need our outreach um, organizations that work with, you know, in the nooks and crannies, you know. They know who these people are and the families and the churches have their church records that date years back. And so there is a way of reaching even many more and I am just so convinced from your stories uh, that by you doing what you're doing, Pam's partnership, all that Maria, George, all that you're doing is taking us forward. So I'm excited and I look forward to even hearing more stories about the success of this work you're doing. Um, Commissioner um, Drew. Uh, thank you, Chair Brackett. I really want to applaud the, the work that has uh, happened to, to date. Uh, amongst the work of the agency, I can't think of anything more important than identifying our COP holders, their descendants, letting folks know uh, that this is an opportunity that's available uh, to them and, and a right that they have to return to, to San Francisco and to get this level of support. Uh, I want to kind of maybe challenge staff and ask, uh, is this enough? Uh, the data is really showing how many folks are deceased uh, times a lot of time has passed, uh, more time is going to pass. How can we get a hold of these people quickly? I do think time is of the essence uh, in, in notifying individuals uh, that they are eligible uh, for, for COP and the housing that's associated with it. Uh, so while I'm, I'm heartened and obviously supportive uh, of this uh, item, I want us to, to do more and to move uh, faster uh, if, if possible. Yes, um, I echo what my fellow commissioners have said as well. I applaud all the work that you've all been doing. Um, thank you for sharing your stories. Um, I've known of this for so long as well, being uh, from the city, and it just, it's very, um, 
I feel like there's this really beautiful light shining and moving forward with this project and reaching to those that have felt uh, neglected. So I applaud you all for your hard work, Majid, the team, and I'm sorry, Pam, and um, thank you for all that you do. It, it's definitely, you can see it and feel it. Thank you. I think Director Koslowski, you wanted to comment or respond to Commissioner Drew's comment. And thank you, uh, Chair Brackett, uh, Commissioner Drew. Um, the amount that we had set aside for this fiscal year uh, was at the urging of the, the chair, Chair Brackett, and the COP committee to restart as soon as possible. So we were able to you know, comb the budget as we were going, preparing the recognized obligations payment schedule, which we're going to hear soon. Uh, to put together the $75,000, but the next fiscal year beginning in July, there is additional money, um, and we can talk about that at the ROPS item. Um, so there are just some limitations in terms of what the budget allows and the ROPS allows. Uh, there's also just uh, limitations of the team. They have a certain amount of investigators that they have. They'd have to train new ones and scale scale up. Uh, they, I think this work has been done for, been what, four months ago, six months ago concluded, so they have to kind of restart. So there is some, we have enough time uh, adding more money right now. We don't think uh, we'll move things any faster. We think we're moving as fast as uh, we can. So um, I'd like to recognize and thank um, the members of the COP subcommittee for their work to, um, and over the last three and a half years. Um, and I'd also like to thank staff for working with us and getting a lot of this stuff done. Um, specifically, um, uh, Jamie, for all of the work you've done and to diligently taking notes, sharing feedback, and making sure that we're having scheduled meetings um, for our previous executive directors who worked with us to get to this point today. Um, it's been a lot of, um, hours, um, emotional toll, um, and sometimes physical toll um, to deal with some of this. Um, hearing the stories from people like um, that are on the subcommittee, like Mr. Um, Richard Ishibashi, um, and the trauma that his family experienced in Japantown, um, hearing the trauma from um, and collective stories from Oscar James and um, other COP members of the committee like Ed Donaldson and the fight to constantly keep coming back to the Board of Supervisors, to Redevelopment Agency, to OCII, just to get the bare minimum, which is acknowledgement that they were even displaced, is a lot. Um, to see such a large number of people have passed away who will never have an opportunity to um, see what's happening now and um, knowing that we are more than 50 years past some of the displacement and knowing that we still have only found a quarter of the people who were initially displaced. We're not even talking about the children at this point. Um, so while I'm excited about what's before us, it's still sobering knowing how much is before us and how much time has passed and so similar to the comments with um, Commissioner Drew, I'd love to work with staff and 
um, Director Koslovsky so that we can really expedite the process next year and do something big and make a really big investment in getting this done as soon as possible. Um, we are, there's going to come a time when we will no longer be LCII. We will be done developing all of these project areas. And um, it would be unfortunate if we weren't able to reach at least 80 to 100% of the people who qualify now. Um, and them not getting that opportunity to get in the housing. As we approved multiple um, projects earlier today, um, a lot of these people will not have access to those because they still have to go through the process of being found and being issued their certificate. So with that and knowledge, um, I guess um, I'd like to know, um, I guess I have a couple questions just originally um, because these are some of the issues I brought up when this contract first came before our commission back in 2021 in terms of the Keene report. Um, initially, when the Keene report was done in 2010, do you have a number of how many people came back as deceased on that original report? Or did we have a number back then? Um, I, I don't have the number in front of me right now. Okay. Um, it also seems that um, with the Keene report that was taken from the, I guess, the older records and the microfiche and was transferred into an Excel file that there's a lot of missing data. Um, and that has um, caused impediments for this even research. So um, I'm also um, concerned about that those um, errors and that we may need to do a deeper dive into the source documents and really uh, look into that. I know that original contract, we looked at only doing about 4,000 records and we didn't do the whole universe. So I'd really like us to, in the next phase, which would probably be about phase three, because we're talking about phase two right now being a four-month contract, we really need to look at the whole universe of everyone who was displaced. So whether that was the 9,000 that we, um, or um, we really need to get to that. We can't just bifurcate the ones that are easy anymore. We need to really do an extensive and comprehensive search of everyone who was displaced. Um, using every method possible, um, including um, potentially even bringing on other um, contractors if needed to do some of the bulk genealogy as well as um, helping us um, on the marketing front. I know in the original contract there was supposed to be money devoted towards marketing, um, and I know a lot of it wasn't able to be spent on marketing because we needed to actually find people. So a large portion of the budget went towards staffing time and stuff like that. So I'd like to see there being some real investment in marketing um, of the COP program because that really hasn't been done widely. Um, I, and I'll also just state that even though COP is mentioned in a lot of like the housing workshops and the home buyer workshops and even in some of the MOHCD, it's not comprehensive to where people actually understand what COP is. It's kind of is like a one slide and they go over it really quickly and they move on. And for a lot of people who have questions, they can't answer the questions or they don't know much about the program. So I don't know if that means additional training through MOHCD and our um, housing providers to really make sure or ensure that they understand what COP is and that um, maybe there's an opportunity for us to also do some outreach or regular things in community to make sure that COP is um, 
publicized and um, widely distributed. And um, as Oscar James said, um, a lot of people who were displaced, now they're living outside of our region, outside of the Bay Area region. So making sure that that marketing includes a national search. Um, and then lastly, um, I know that our current um, COP program, MOHCD, has a list of addresses that they use to verify whether someone is COP um, eligible or not. It's done by the address and the head of household. However, as we've stated and heard on the record several times whenever we discuss COP, um, as Oscar James highlighted, um, there are a lot of addresses that are missing from that. And so we need to come up with um, a plan of how to address that, whether it's us going back to the city assessor's office and getting the actual addresses and the um, street names, because I know the street names have changed. Um, we're going to have to do something um, more. Um, there's also areas, um, as we discussed in the COP subcommittee, um, that are also not included in the COP certificate program because I think in our world when we only have a small portion of Hunters Point and Fillmore that are accessible or considered COP, however, we are aware that um, people were displaced in SOMA, people were displaced in, um, um, oh my gosh, um, Lower Embarcadero. Yeah, Lower Embarcadero, Yerba Buena, um, Diamond Heights. There were some parts of Diamond Heights that was also displaced as well as Excelsior and the Mission. And so um, I really would like to see the COP program encompass all of those families as well because we're leaving out a large swath of people who were also harmed by actions that we took as a city. That will be part of our work in the new fiscal year. Okay. Thank you so much. And... Um, Lastly, I just want to thank the COP investigators and the Lynx team and NCLF for all the amazing work that you guys have done. I know it's not been easy, um, but we have seen a lot of progress, and um, I appreciate all that work that you guys have done. I also appreciate the MOECD team who has been trying to expedite um, the issuance of the certificates as well, but we still have some work on that as well. So just want to thank everyone so far. and. Um, checking in with my fellow commissioners if you guys would like to entertain a motion and also if um, before we entertain the motion if um, Director Koslowski has any additional comments or things based on what I said. Um, Madam Chair, no, nothing, nothing to add. I think uh, you were succinct and clear uh, and the things that you've outlined and you and I have talked about this uh, project many times um, and we're trying to lean into this as much as possible and you'll see I think more visible activity in the next fiscal year coming up uh, and so yeah so we have our commitment to to work with you and the COP subcommittee Madam Chair I'd like to move that item 5G resolution number 05 2024 authorizing a First Amendment to the personal services contract with links, insights, and investigations incorporation, a California corporation to increase the contract amount by 75,000 for an aggregate amount of $304,570 and to extend the term for an additional six months. I second. 
Madam Secretary, please call the vote. Thank you, Madam Chair. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5G when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino? Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Lim? Yes. Vice Chair Scott? Aye. And Chair Brackett? Yes. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The motion carries. Please call the next item, Madam Secretary. Yes. <coughs> next is agenda item number 5H, which is a workshop on the recognized obligation payment schedule for July 1st, 2024 to June 30th, 2025. ROPS 24-25. Discussion. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, this item is a workshop on the recognized obligations payment schedule for fiscal 24-25, which is the period July 2024 through June 2025. And there are a few new ROPS lines that I just want you to make note of. There's the Mission Bay line, which is line 444, uh, which is for the CFD 6 bond debt service that was refinanced uh, late last year. This is a new line that's being required by the Department of Finance for this uh, CFD uh, bond. Another new line I'll call your attention to is a replacement housing line 442. Uh, and under OCI's new authority for replacement housing, this line is paying for a portion of the environmental review to study increased density and heights uh, for Mission Bay affordable projects, block four east and 12 west. Um, after today's workshop, the Oversight Board will vote on the ROPS uh, on January 24th of this uh, year. Uh, and to present this item is Mina Yu, the Senior Budget and uh, Project Finance Manager for OCAI. Mina. Thank you, Director. Um, good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Scott. My name is Mina Yu, and I'm here along with our project managers to present on our ROPS for 2425. So OCII's mission and strategic goals are to invest in our three major project areas of Mission Bay, Trans Bay, and the Shipyard Candlestick Point. Um, in these communities, we will build 22,000 new units of housing, of which 30% will be affordable. We will also be building 379 parks and open space and 13 million square feet of commercial space. In 24-25, our major initiatives are to complete parks, a pump station, and streets in Mission Bay, design Block 3 Park and Underramp Park in Transbay and begin Block 48 Horizontal Infrastructure Construction. In our housing program, we will be funding projects in Transbay, begin pre-development work, and continue construction on projects across our three project areas. So the ROPS requires categorizing the payment sources for each expenditure into the following sources in the table before you. We have our bond proceeds from bonds issued. We have our reserve balances, which are property tax increment approved to be retained by the State Department of Finance in prior year for current year use. We have our other funds, which includes various fees, developer payments, and grants. And we have three different types of redevelopment, redevelopment property tax trust fund, or RPTTF. We have our RPTTF non-admin, our RPTTF residual, which is RPTTF from the residual pool of funds after the distribution to taxing entities to fund replacement housing. And we have our RPTTF admin, which is our administrative cost allowance. So in our ROPS 2425, we are requesting approval of $693.4 million of funds. The largest source will be bond proceeds followed by other funds. 
Compared to the 23-24 ROPS, we are requesting a decrease in authority of 51.4 million or 6.9%. The primary driver of this change is a decrease in our request for bond proceeds. So in prior year, we had about $48 million of bond proceeds for a bond refunding. And we also requested bond proceeds to fund Transbay 4, but are now requesting that in other funds. We have additionally been spending down on proceeds committed to our Mission Bay infrastructure work and our affordable housing projects. In our reserve funds, we are requesting authority to fund Transbay 2 and infrastructure reimbursements in Mission Bay North. In our other funds, we have an increase for our funding of affordable housing projects. In RPTCF non-admin, there's an increase primarily due to debt service payments on the bonds we issued in 2023. And then this is our first year requesting RPTTF residual and 0.3 million will be used to pay for an environmental consultant related to replacement housing and our RPTTF admin increases by formula. So this table shows the breakout of our $693.4 million request by use type. Almost half of our request is to fund our affordable housing program. 21.7%, which is our second largest source, is to fund park projects and Transbay and our operating budget makes up about 3.8% of our total request. So compared to prior year, we are requesting again a decrease of 51.4 million. This is a decrease across all of our use types except for replacement housing. So in our affordable housing program, we are completing Mission Bay South 9 and continuing to spend down on our affordable housing project loans. In Mission Bay, we are continuing to spend down on our proceeds for developer reimbursements for infrastructure work. In Transbay, we are spending down on contracts related to our parks projects. In the shipyard, we are spending down on our community benefits agreements funds. Our debt program had $48 million in refunding proceeds in prior year. So this is a decrease for current year, and this is an offset in the increase, of it, the increase for our debt service payments for the bonds that we issued. And our operating costs are decreased, decreasing due to positions held vacant. Um, and this is offset by an increase in our retiree health care and pension costs, new bond activity, and an, an increase in our allotment to the housing certificate of preference costs. So this table shows our RPTTF uses. Um, the total RPTTF request is 160.5 million, and the primary use is payment for debt service on our bonds, followed by our remittance of the RPTTF generated in the state-owned parcels to the TJPA. And compared to prior year, our RPTTF request is an increase of 13.4%. The majority of this is due to our debt service payments, followed by an increase in the RPTTF pledge to fund infrastructure reimbursements in Mission Bay. Um, and I, I will turn it over to Elizabeth to discuss our housing program. Good, good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Scott, Welcome, Commissioner Lim, Commissioners. My name is Elizabeth Colomello, Housing Program Manager, and I'm here to discuss the housing portion of the ROPS 2425. So for ROPS 2425, housing is requesting a total of 343 million to fund pre-development and construction activities for our affordable housing projects. Of this amount, approximately 219 million is carry forward funding from prior years. And as you can see, the primary sources requested are bond proceeds and other funds. 
Other funds mainly consist of in-lieu fees, which are payments from developers that have been or will be made pursuant to various project or program requirements over the years and which are designated for affordable housing use. The funds requested will primarily go to fund permanent loans for our affordable housing projects under construction or pre-development loans, including four potential new pre-development loans. Housing's ROPS 2425 request includes funding for projects across our three main enforceable obligations of Hunters Point, Shipyard, and Candlestick Point, Mission Bay, and Trans Bay, with the highest expenditure in Trans Bay at $231 million, followed by Hunters Point, Shipyard, and Candlestick Point, where we have two projects under construction at $76 million, and then Mission Bay at $34 million. Here you can see all the projects that we funded under this ROPS for our, or we're proposing to be funded under this ROPS for our ongoing, for ongoing projects in the shipyard phase one in Transbay. We'll be spending down our permanent loans for those projects that will be under construction or in pre-development. And we have included new pre-development loans for the remaining Mission Bay parcels, along with our remaining affordable parcels in Transbay and Hunters Point shipyard phase one. We're showing the remaining pre-development funds for our two Candlestick Point projects, even though those projects are currently on hold. And I just wanted to note a few things. Um, the Trans Bay Block 4 project is also on hold due to market conditions, as you know. OCII and the project's developer have entered into an option agreement with a term of six months with two possible six-month extensions. The first extension was approved in December 2023. And so ROPS fiscal year 24-25 includes an allowance for a pre-development loan that would be funded with bond funds in the event that market conditions do not improve and the block for developer or OCII terminates the option agreement and OCII issues a request for proposals or qualifications for a standalone affordable component of the project only. And while both candlestick projects are currently on hold, as I mentioned, the candlestick point project master developer plans to submit a revised land use plan in 2024, which will require corresponding amendments to the DDAs and other documents. Depending on the revised plan, these projects could start pre-development in 24-25. Um, I also wanted to note, though it's, it's not on this slide, that we have included uh, approximately $400,000 for augmented um, COP work to help continue to find COP holders in an additional phase of the contracts that we have in place um, to do a COP survey to understand the needs of our COP holders, including descendants who we have not yet surveyed before, and to scan um, remaining documents that haven't been scanned to make it easier to um, help COP holders get qualified to be COP holders and um, just, just to have uh, easier, easier accessible documentation um, and also for additional outreach to COP holders. And finally, I want to note that a portion of Mission Bay South Block 4 East, Mission Bay Block 12 West, and Hunters Point Shipyard Block 48 will rely on an issuance of replacement housing bonds pursuant to SB 593 in fiscal year 25, 26 or later, which I'll discuss in a minute and we've discussed at previous meetings and we will be discussing at future meetings. The Mission Bay South OPA and the Hunters Point Shipyard Phase 1 DDA housing programs designate sites for the development of OCII-sponsored affordable housing pro projects and establishes a maximum number of affordable units that we may develop. The former agency and OCII have developed most of the affordable units and OCII only has authorization to develop the remaining balance of 165 units in Mission Bay and 33 units in Hunters Point Shipyard. 
However, as we have discussed at previous meetings, in furtherance of citywide housing production goals and an acknowledgement that there may be capacity for additional affordable units on these blocks, OCII may pursue any necessary amendments to project documents to increase the allowable number of units on these blocks. Funding for any units in excess of 165 units in Mission Bay and 33 units in Hunters Point Shipyard would be subject to future commission and oversight board review and approval under the authority to issue bonds for replacement housing units in newly enacted SB 593. Now I'll provide a brief overview of SB 593, the replacement housing legislation that has been signed into law last fall. Um, we've, as I mentioned, we've discussed it previously and I know we'll have further discussions about this. So I'll just give a brief overview. SB 593 allows OCII to use a portion of tax increment otherwise available to the city to fund and develop up to 5,842 units destroyed and never replaced by the former redevelopment agency. The, former, the portion of tax increment we are allowed to use per this legislation is the residual amount remaining after funding OCII's enforceable obligations in Mission Bay, Trans Bay, and Hunters Point Shipyard Candlestick Point, and after providing the taxing entities other than the city with residual tax increment. Therefore, funding for affordable housing under SB 593 will depend on future property tax revenues generated in our former and current redevelopment project areas and on the funding needs of existing OCII enforceable obligations, which will have a higher priority under law for the use of property tax revenues. In addition, available funds will def depend on the other budget needs of the city, which would otherwise deposit the funds in its general fund. OCII is working with the city on estimates of the amount of revenues that will be available in light of the state of the overall city budget, but staff does project its first bond issuance may occur in the 2025-2026 timeframe. So in fiscal year 24-25 will be a planning year for the first SB 593 bond issuance. As I mentioned, this slide shows the expenses for staffing and professional services contracts that we anticipate will be attributed attributed to that work. Of this amount, only about 300,000 will be taken from funding made available by SB 593. We're excited to get started on the planning of these additional uh, affordable units. And with that, I'll wrap up my presentation and I will turn it over to Mark Sletskin to talk about Mission Bay. Good afternoon, Chair Mackett. Vice Chair Scott, Commissioners, Director Kozlowski, I'm Mark Sluskin, Deputy Director, and I will be presenting on Mission Bay. Here we have some pictures of Mission Bay. In the top left, you can see how built out Mission Bay is, except for UCSF. We just have uh, some parks and a couple affordable housing sites left to build out. In the top right is the art piece that will be going into P2 and is currently being designed. In the bottom left is Park P2, P8. And then in the bottom right is the Gladstone, where they are seeking an expansion of about 100,000 square feet to their existing building. For Mission Bay, the, the uh, primary, we are asking for 37.2 million. The primary amount is for infrastructure, and that'll primarily be with bond proceeds at 15.4 million. We'll be using reserves in Mission Bay North of 10 million. 
The other funds is the interest on the bond, bond proceeds for Mission Bay South. And in this upcoming fiscal year, we expect to fully expend all the bond proceeds. So we will also be asking for $5 million in current year RPTTF. For professional services, which is predominantly reimbursing city uh, staff of public works, PUC, MTA, we'll be using 2.9 in bond proceeds. Other funds is reimbursement from the vertical developers who are out there working. And then for, uh, we do expect to use about 100,000 in current year RPTTF for Mission Bay North because we're not sure if their 10 million in bond proceeds or 10 million in reserves will be sufficient. And then finally, we have the art program that I spoke about and the pictures of 1 million, which we'll be using for that project. For the work program, uh, we'll be working on parks, pump stations, and streets. Uh, in next fiscal year, P2, P8, Stormwater Pump Station 3, which is in Park P1, and then 5th and King, which is in Mission Bay North, will be primary projects. As discussed on the last slide, the infrastructure will be 32.6 million. Professional services will be 3.6 million. And then we'll have a million dollars that we'll be spending for public art. And again, the public art is in lieu fees that developers have paid over the years. That is it for Mission Bay. And now Ben Brandon will come up to speak about TransBay. Thanks, Mark. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Brackett, um, Vice Chair Dr. Scott, Commissioners, and Executive Director Thor Keselowski. I'm Ben Brandon, uh, TransBay Project Manager, and I'm going to walk you through the fiscal year 24-25 TransBay Redevelopment Project Area Sources by Uses and Work Program. As evidenced by the graphics up on your screen right now, you can see that a large part of our TransBay work in the coming fiscal year will be focused on moving forward our under-ramp park and block three park projects, advancing the construction of our two affordable housing projects on TransBay Block 2, and working with the Block 4 developer to hopefully advance uh, that mixed-use project once the commercial real estate market improves. So, <clears throat> excuse me. In ROPSA 2425, OCII will request Department of Finance authority for a budget of approximately $151 million to continue our work in the Transbay project area. While the numbers here reflect that infrastructure is the primary use of our Transbay budget funds in the coming fiscal year, it's important to clarify that we do not anticipate expending um, that full $116 million. The large sum is driven by the fact that last fall we issued $37 million in bonds uh, to fund the design, engineering, and construction of our Block 3 and infrastructure project. Uh, in this proposed budget, we've also included $64 million uh, for a bond issuance for the upcoming fiscal year, and that will fund the design, engineering, and eventual construction of the under-ramp park project. We expect to break ground on elements of the Block 3 uh, infrastructure project this coming summer. Therefore, the largest true expenditure in the upcoming fiscal year will be the Transbay Joint Powers Authority pledge, which is $33 million. The TJPA pledge is codified by the Tax Increment and Sales uh, Proceeds Pledge Agreement, which irrevocably commits net tax, net tax increment and sales proceeds from the formerly state-owned parcels to the Salesforce Transit Center. Consistent with this agreement, uh, in ROPS fiscal year 24-25, OCII will transfer pledged RPTTF non-admin uh, to the TJPA to fund the transit center project. We do expect to focus heavily on advancing our block three park and infrastructure project 
and the under rent project uh, next year by advancing construction of the former and design documentation of the latter. Our primary sources covering our fiscal year 24-25 Transbay work are bond proceeds and RPTTF dollars. And again, those sources are covering our major infrastructure projects and the TJPA pledge, respectively. The $10 million in other funds is comprised of $9 million in Transbay park fees paid by developers and approximately a half million dollars in private developer reimbursements, followed by $0.6 million in bond interest uh, proceeds. Regarding the Transbay work program for the upcoming fiscal year, the key activities will, uh, will be focusing on, on, on advancing our two park projects, beginning construction on some infrastructure improvements at the former Transbay temporary terminal site, and funding and monitoring the construction of our two mixed-use affordable housing projects on Transbay Block 2. We'll also be actively managing the interim activation of the former temporary terminal site and the Essex Hillside open space. To fund these activities, we're requesting $116 million for infrastructure covering pre-development work and some construction activity for our two park projects, our streetscape and infrastructure projects at the Old Temp Terminal site, the bond issuances to fund their construction, and ensuring the plant health of, for our Folsom Street streetscapes that were completed in 2021. We've re requested an additional $1.2 million to fund the consultants that support our projects and again, $33 million to fund the TJPA pledge. That wraps up the Transbay portion of this presentation. And I'll now turn things over to my colleague, Lila Hussein, who will provide an overview of the Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick Point projects. Lila. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett and commissioners. Um, my name is Lila Hussein. I am the Senior Project Manager for Hunters Point Shipyard Candlestick Point, and I'm here to present the budget for shipyard and candlestick, shipyard phase one and phase two and candlestick point. So um, on, on the monitor, you see the map. Um, the majority of the project is not under construction, but the part that is under construction is shipyard phase one. Um, shipyard phase one consists of two Neighborhoods, Hillside and Hilltop, many of you are familiar with that. And we have 582 units completed at Shipyard Phase 1. Uh, shipyard Phase 2 is currently on hold pending the Navy completing their remedial action plan as well as the retesting efforts going on at Shipyard Phase 2. And Candlestick Point has 337 units completed at Alice Griffith and some preliminary infrastructure has been completed. So that's an overview of the site. Oops, I'm going backwards. Okay. So the total budget for my project is $11.5 million. And unlike the other projects, the sources uh, come from the developer. Um, the project itself has not generated a significant amount of tax increment. There is a very small portion that is 1.5 million on the budget that is set aside for pre-agreement costs for the master developer on shipyard, uh, Candlestick Point Shipyard Phase 2. But the, all the other costs you see, um, minus uh, some minor lease payments, are, all of which are from the developer, both Phase 1 and Phase 2 developers. I'm going to go into the work. Okay, next is the work program. So um, 
On shipyard phase two, phase one, we have four development blocks um, under construction, 185 units of which are affordable, block, uh, affordable units on shipyard phase one. We're very excited about these developments. These are the th three OCI projects that are currently underway at Hilltop. And then we expect block one, which is located at the foot of the project, hopefully to start sometime during this time period. In addition to that, we have the phase one parks. Most of them have been completed, but they need to transfer from the master developer to OCII. And similar to Mission Bay, we plan to transition to rec parks. So there's a lot of work around that. Um, the next piece is um, none of the roads at Hilltop have been transferred yet to the city. We are working very closely with public works on the acceptance process for this infrastructure to be accepted by the city, which involves a board process as well as inspections from various city departments. Um, uh, we also need to begin and complete um, um, block 48, which is hillside, the other portion of phase one, um, the horizontal infrastructure. And the, it's, uh, some of it's already underway, but there's a lot more to be done. And the master developer is going to focus on completing the roads for the eventual construction of vertical development on the remaining portion of phase one. And then uh, we have the element of um, uh, spending the community benefits funds. We'll be, I'll be before you in um, an upcoming commission meeting to go over details about the community benefits, both from the phase one developer and the funds being administered by the legacy. Another big portion of our uh, work is also working with the Navy and other federal regulators working on the cleanup of the shipyard phase two. Um, and we, we not only monitor the reports that they are producing in terms of their work plan to get the parcels cleaned up, but also this year they have a five-year review uh, plan coming out where every five years they, they review their remedial actions to make sure that they are still consistent or if they have to make, update any changes. So that's another big portion of our work plan. And uh, the last piece here is restarting um, work at Candlestick Point. And uh, we hope to come before this commission the coming months to talk about uh, restarting Candlestick Point, the infrastructure, the land use program, so that we could get uh, work started on Candlestick Point. And um, in terms of the details, the majority of the work program is infrastructure related. Uh, similar to what Ben stated, it does not mean we will necessarily spend all this amount, but if we do get candlestick restarted, there will be a significant amount of planning work needed related to infrastructure. And then we have professional services, which include various consultants to support work, either legal related to um, transactions or our consultants who support us in this infrastructure work. And similarly, as I stated, we will be working with the legacy on uh, spending the 1.8 million that we ha currently have for the community benefits. And finally, a small portion are the lease payments we get. We, uh, we, uh, we give to the Navy for the Parcel B Art Studios as well as SFPD pays us for a satellite office they have out on shipyard. And with that, I will hand it back to Mina. Thank you very much.
So our debt program is 124.3 million, all of which will be used to service outstanding debt. We have 3.2 million in bond proceeds, which reflect the last payments for our 1998C and 1998D bonds. Other funds reflect 4.7 million in the hotel occupancy tax refunding bond. Other also has 9.7 million in the CFD6 series 2023 special tax bond. And then we have 106.8 million in RPTCF non-admin that is for debt service on our 17 bonds. We will expend 26.1 million on our operating costs. Our primary funding sources are RPTTF and other funds. We'll be spending 9.4 million on existing staff salaries and benefits, 3.9 on retiree obligations, and 12.8 million in non-labor costs. So the, the 9.4 million on staff salaries and benefits reflect um, the cost for 55 FTE, which is no change from prior year. We assume a 3.4% COLA, which was a CPI in August 2023 for the SF Bay area. We have 3.9 in retiree obligations, which reflects 3 million in pension costs and 0.9 million for retiree healthcare benefits. And then we have our 12.8 million in non-labor costs. Um, this table shows the details of that 12.8. The largest expenditure is grant agreements followed by work orders, orders with city departments. And compared to prior year, our operating costs are decreasing by $0.3 million. This is primarily due to positions held vacant, offset by increases in retiree health care and pension costs, new bond activity, and housing certificate of preference costs. On the revenue side, we are decreasing our funding of operating costs um, with other funds and increasing bond funding for staff time on bond-related projects, reserve funds for mission-based South staffing costs, and RPTTF for work on enforceable obligations and administration. Um, within our non-labor budget, we have $3.1 million in work orders with city departments, and this table shows that breakout. Our largest is with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development at 1.4, followed by 0.9 million for um, the City Administrator's Office. And then our RPTCF admin is determined by formula, and this table just shows the specifics of that calculation. So it is based off of prior year actuals, less the prior year admin costs, less any savings. We get a base amount and take 3% off that for the 24-25 admin costs, and it's an increase of $0.4 million. So we are retiring one line in Mission Bay for the completion of the Mission Bay South 9 affordable housing project loan. And then we have six new ROPS lines. Um, the first two reflect the Mission Bay South uh, 2016 D refunding. Um, we are additionally adding a replacement housing support line in line 442. This reflects staffing costs and an environmental consultant. We have two new affordable housing projects, Trans Bay Block 12 and Hunters Point Shipyard Phase 1 Block 48. And then we have that CFD6 refunding um, debt service line. So we met um, with the oversight board last week to provide the same workshop. We're meeting with you today, and then we will be taking the action item before the oversight board um, next Wednesday 
then submit the ROPS to the Department of Finance before February 1st. And that concludes our presentation. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, everyone from staff um, for that presentation. Thank you, Mina, for providing um, the explanation and the budgets and the changes and what has changed um, from the previous year to the current year. I know that that was something that um, Commissioner Drew um, asked for, and I want to just thank you, all, the whole staff, and Mina for putting that together and um, really explaining that out to the commission of what's changing and what um, projects we have coming up in the upcoming year. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call for public comment? If there are any members of the public who wishes to provide comments on item 5H, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-121-7001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star, then three to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you would like to provide a comment. And we'll begin with members of the public who are here in person. If there are anyone who would like to provide comment on this item, please come up to the podium at this time. And for members of the public who joined us remotely, if you'd like to provide a public comment, please press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. So we'll now close public comment and um, I will refer to my fellow commissioners if you have any questions of the team um, on the presentation that was just given to you. This is a non-action um, item. It was a workshop. Um, so if you have any feedback. These are big numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Too big for me to comprehend, but anyhow, I have no comment. Okay. Um, Commissioner Scott? No, just to thank Mina for such a conclusive report, your presentation. Thank you. And i like to say thank you for the, the report. Um, there's a lot in there, and so um, I don't have any further questions other than thank you so much. I had one minor question maybe for um, Director Koslowski. I noticed in there there was um, kind of a decrease in the amount that's going to be available for staffing and it's got like moved over I guess in terms of um, staffing is going to be covered by the specific project bonds and stuff like that. Is that correct? I'm not 100% sure but maybe if I can ask Mina to come up and uh, cover, maybe recover the decrease slide. Um, I know some of that is as a result of some of the bond refunding that we did, but uh, Mina will be able to go over it. Um, I think you're speaking about this table, which shows the year-over-year changes. Yeah, it um, was, yeah, I think they had moved kind of, I think you guys had moved staffing time over um, to the bonding. Yeah, so last year we um, relied heavily on developer reimbursements and use of other funds, which are things like fees. Um, and this year we have been looking for alternate sources of funding. So 
One thing was um, using more bond proceeds to pay for staff time that's directly related to like specific affordable housing projects funded by bonds, um, increasing use of reserve funds, which is mission-based mission South, RPTCF that we received in prior years for mission-based South affordable housing. So we tried to be a lot more specific in what the time that our staff is working on and then what specific sources we can pull from to pay for those costs. Um, this is just because we wanted to rely a little bit less on developer reimbursements um, as projects kind of like the status of statuses are a little bit in flux. We don't know if we can rely on those sources as heavily. So we want to just like, you know, spread our risk out a little bit and just make sure we have funding for our staffing costs from various sources. And if I may, um, Madam Chair, um, just to track what Mina is saying, uh, how we're financing our operations are tracking the overall market. So as uh, market rate development has slowed down, so has market rate developer reimbursements. And our focus more on bond funded projects uh, like affordable housing and parks and infrastructure uh, is our source of funding. That's how we get reimbursed. So it's just kind of tracking what's going on in the overall economy. Okay, thank you. And then um, also, I guess my last question is, um, seeing that staff time is being moved over to more of the affordable housing and the bonding projects, um, um, is do you foresee us also needing more staffing as well in the upcoming years as we're wrapping up with some of those affordable um, projects and in which project areas do we see possibly um, a need to add additional staff um, and stuff like that? Uh, thank you for that, Madam Chair. Um, uh, I don't want it to be premature in terms of uh, sort of announcing any hiring that we're doing, but we are looking at the next fiscal year filling some vacancies that we have. Um, when you see the annual budget before you in about two months, we'll be giving you an update on our staffing levels and planned hirings and vacancies. So we'll get a report on that then. Thank you. Just was asking, just being mindful of like our staff has really <laughs> kicked it up the gear <laughs> during um, COVID. And I know there were many times that we were short staff and didn't have enough people. And we also have been upgrading our systems and, you know, not kind of using antiquated um, technology. And now we're getting, you know, updates and stuff like that um, and upgrading that. So just wanting to make sure that our staff has the um, type of support that they need moving into this new phase of um, OCII. Absolutely, Madam Chair. Thank you. Madam Secretary, can you call the next item, please? The next order of business is item six, public comment on non-agenda items. Madam Chair. Can you please call for a public comment? Sure. At this time, if there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on non-agenda items, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code 26601217001, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star, then three to be placed in the queue. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide public comment. We'd like to begin by inviting anyone here in person who'd like to provide comments to come up to the podium, starting with Mr. Oscar James. I swear this is my last time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'd like uh, for the uh, commission to close this session in honor of Miss Marjorie Cummins, who was the area director, oh, excuse me, 
She was administrative secretary in the Hunters Point uh, development. They also wanted to make her the director, which she denied twice. But anyway, she just passed. She had a home going at 90 years old, and I would like to, for the agency to close in her honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we have, and forgive me if I'm not saying it correctly, Manelik. Oh, no, um, there was another card. It's, it's Manelik is the name? Oh, he left? Oh, okay. I'm sorry? Oh, okay. All right. So um, if there are no other members here in person, any members who have joined remotely, if you would like to uh, provide public comment on non-agenda items, please press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, does not appear we have any other members of the public wishing to comment at this time. Therefore, we will now close public comments. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item seven, report of the chair. Madam Chair. So um, since our last meeting, I was able to um, attend the Hunters Point Shipyard holiday party. Um, thank you, Laila Hussain, for hosting and the Hunters Point CAC. Um, it was an amazing event. Um, a lot of our nonprofit developers were there, residents as well as um, Vice Chair um, Commissioner Scott, and as well as Commissioner Aquino. Um, so also, um, it was an exciting day. Um, the community was really excited that um, Blocks 52, 56 were being started, and um, that is the end of my report. The next order of business is item eight, report of the Executive Director. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary um, and commissioners. And I want to welcome you, Commissioner Lim. Uh, thank you for your strong advocacy on behalf of uh, San Francisco businesses. Uh, we all here share um, that goal. So I just want to assure you of that. Um, but I want to provide some perspective on the work of OCII. Um, and to do that, I'd like to take stock of the work that's been going on uh, at the agency in the past year, 2023. And first, I want to start by acknowledging the work of the, of the commission. During 2023, you had the departure of three commissioners and the appointment of three new commissioners. Uh, that's a 60% turnover on the commission in terms of seats and in presence. Um, and uh, we also had changeover of leadership in the officers of the commission, um, and the chair and the vice chair. And today, we had a reaffirmation of the commission's leadership and a vote of confidence in the trajectory uh, both the commission and the agency's direction. Uh, there's a lot of change to manage, but throughout, throughout all this transition, the commission has maintained its meetings and kept up the good work of reviewing agency projects and initiatives and did it without missing a beat, proving once again that OCII is a no, has a no drama commission. Uh, turning the discussion towards the agency, the entire OCII team has been very, 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 very hard at work applying the best in class thinking to the question of how do we best serve this community of San Francisco. Uh, but similar to the commission, we've had changeover in leadership as well. 2023 was my first full year as executive director. Uh, we also had changeover in our uh, deputy directors. 60% of our deputy directors have turned over. We brought forth smart, experienced leadership 
uh, from the OCI staff into senior management in the deputy director roles of finance and programs to help shape the future of OCII. And so during this time uh, from the ED and throughout the entire OCI team, we stayed focused on the key goals of completing our enforceable obligations in our major project areas of Mission Bay, Trans Bay, Hunters Point Shipyard, and Candlestick. <clears throat> in housing, we fully leased up Mission Bay Block 9A, 140 units of affordable rental housing, all for formerly homeless adults. We also released a developer request for qualifications to build on an affordable housing uh, mixed use project on Mission Bay Block 4 East on 3rd Street off of China Basin Street. We broke ground historically on 180 plus units in the Hunters Point Shipyard on three blocks. Uh, that's affordable rental as well. And we were awarded tax credits to start construction on Block 2, uh, and you heard the item of Block 2 West. Uh, that's over 300 units of affordable rental housing. So I want to thank uh, the leadership of Mayor London Breed and Senator Wiener and Chair Brackett on their replacement housing advocacy. That legislation was passed in the Senate and um, the, the Assembly, and it was signed into law by the governor under SB 593, which authorizes us to develop over 5,800 units of affordable housing to replace the housing that was demolished during the urban renewal days. And in parks, the schematic design was approved for over two-acre under-ramp park, which, in, which are the areas underneath the Trans Bay bus terminal bus ramps, and we're gonna turn that into recreation space for the community. And in Mission Bay, over 24 acres of parks that are completed are being turned over to Rec Park of the total 40 plus acres that is gonna be built ultimately in Mission Bay. It was transferred to the city's Rec Park Department, reaching a major milestone of OCII's long range property management plan and placing the parks in the long-term maintenance of the city's capable hands. And especially in these difficult times, we've demonstrated good fiscal stewardship. We've conducted a refinancing of a portion of our OCI bonds, saving over $16 million. Looking forward to 2024, we all know that the economic news has been difficult. The city's office vacancy is still high. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates, causing market rate, mortgage rates to increase. So while the general economic climate has not improved substantially, there have been positive changes. Instead of the continued increases in inflation in the economy, inflation is lowered. The feds have stopped raising rates and rates are expected to drop a little bit in 2024. San Francisco's unemployment is fairly low at just over 3%. And lastly, commercial building have sales are starting to occur. We're starting to see projects transact at steep discounts, but they're just reflecting their current valuation. It's not a turnaround, but it's a shift. Appearing that we have seen and we'll continue to monitor the outlook while we focus on moving forward on several key projects. We'll be completing construction and selling units at Mission Bay Block 9A. Thank you for approving that project. That's 148 units of affordable housing. And if you're interested in living in San Francisco and in Mission Bay, and you want affordable home ownership, please check out the project's website, 400chinabasin.com. That's 400chinabasin.com. Get registered for this ownership opportunity. We'll be selecting a developer for Mission Bay 4 East, Block 4 East, and getting started on pre-development. And don't forget, for all the developers out here looking at this, those proposals are due January 19th, this Friday, at 4 p.m. Don't be late. We also plan on releasing a request for qualifications for an affordable housing mixed-use project on Mission Bay Block 12 West. That's on Channel and Longbridge. The Bayfront Park, 
behind the Warriors Arena should open. That's five acre park. It's the largest park in Mission Bay. And it's also part of the San Francisco Bay Trail. We'll continue the planning and design process for over three and a half acres of parks in Trans Bay on Block 3 and Under Ramp Park. We've also started site prep on the Block 2 project and we'll begin, begin construction on that project on the two west side of it. And Commissioner Lim, we promise to get you that detailed contracting report. For replacement housing, we're going to continue the planning process with the Commission and the COP subcommittee on the implementation of that policy and also implementing certain COP enhancements. And very importantly, we'll continue the discussion with Five Point, the developer of the Hunters Point Shipyard Candlestick project to advance the candlestick portion of the long stall project there. We'll do all this while investing in our staff, hiring for critical positions when needed, promoting and attracting the best talent, investing in training, professional development, and convening staff retreats for team morale and cohesion. We'll also be modernizing and investing in our systems, upgrading our IT, improving our website, digitizing and organizing our records, especially our COP records, and overall maintaining public policy and business best practices. We'll be striving to remain the most innovative and leading successor agency in the state of California. And always we'll keep equity, innovation, and economic inclusion at the top of our agenda. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Director Koslowski, for that report. Um, the, do my, any, of my commissioners have any questions or comments? Otherwise, we'll be going to the next item of business. No questions. I don't have any more questions. I have no questions either. Okay. Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item? Yes. The next order of business is item nine, commissioners' questions and matters. I'd just like to say that I'm excited about 2024 with all the projects that are ongoing. And um, yeah, here's to housing and to COP holders and all the projects that we're working. Thank you. Okay, um, I do have one quick question. Um, it was in the news recently around the closing of the Safeway and the Western Edition. And if memory serves me correctly, that property used to be a redevelopment lot before it was given over to Safeway. And so I'd like to hear from- I hear you, Bivette. Oops, sorry. Um, if a recollection serves me <coughs> correctly, that lot previously was owned by redevelopment agency and it was turned over and purchased in order to have a community grocery store and now that is now being threatened that that is no longer going to be a grocery store and that's a large community that will not have a grocery store for a long time so i was just wondering if you had any thoughts executive director on um you know i know there's probably nothing we can do because the land has already been sold but do you have any thoughts on how we can prevent that from happening with our future land use and properties? Uh, thank you for that, Chair, Madam, question, uh, Madam Chair. Um, we, we are really restricted from having any role whatsoever. Um, not only is it a closed project area, um, 
we don't have any role in the property that's there. We don't have any ownership of it. Um, our only role at this point really is exclusively two things, is to get the Fillmore Heritage Center transferred over to the city, uh, along with the Ellis, the small portion of the Ellis uh, driveway that's adjacent to that building. Um, we'll participate in any community conversation. Um, there are people at the city, uh, writ large, if you will, who are in charge of development citywide, who are in contact and in conversations uh, with that developer who is still evaluating the purchase. I believe it's a due diligence period. It has not closed. Uh, the, the community has spoken up uh, almost immediately uh, of their desires to see the, the store remain operating um, as long as possible during the interim period um, that development is being planned. And I hear from the news reports, at least, that the developer uh, would like to see a grocery store return uh, there as well. Um, I don't have any other news on that, but would be happy to participate in meetings or uh, brainstorming about how we can be of assistance. But we're, because of dissolution, uh, highly restricted from really engaging in on it in any way. Yeah. Um, my question was more or less understanding that we can't do that. Um, we, we're not able to engage. However, what are some learning things from this happening that we can prevent from happening in like our current developments that are we're pushing through? Like I know once we transfer property over to MOHCD, there's nothing we can do. Um, however, what should we um, kind of, um, like what kind of um, riders on the actual land use can we put on there so that this doesn't happen, you know, in the future? That property that's transferred over to MOHCD that's supposed to have a community benefit is not then turned over to a private developer who then decides once that 40-year lease or term of where they can't change the use, as soon as that 41th year goes, they can just sell it and be done. And we're back in the same situation again 40 years from now. So that's what I'm just asking. How can we as OCII protect um, land, which is a precious commodity in San Francisco, from this happening again in the future? This is starting to happen more frequently um, as we move forward. And, and you're referring to the Fillmore Heritage Center itself or the former, the Safeway area? Well, no, I'm not necessarily either one of those two properties, but um, any property but that like OCA, a best practice yeah, in so general? Yes, it is a best practice that okay. we can yeah, I understand use better to now. not have yeah. that happen again. Let me give it some like thought and talk to the... Any, like, we don't have any control of what's happening with Safeway, but what yeah. can we do as yeah. OCII to prevent this from happening again with future projects? That's great. What, That's a great question. Um, uh, I don't have any immediate thoughts on that, uh, but let me talk with the team um, and get back to you uh, about that. Okay. Um, Madam Chair, can you please call the next item? Uh, the I next mean, order of business. Secretary, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is our longest meeting ever. Please forgive me. <laughs> my, my, my first day. Make sure you're ready. We had one before you came like this. The next order of business is item 10, which is closed session. There are no closed session items. And the next order of business is item 11, adjournment. Madam Chair. Mm. <laughs> Madam Chair, I move that the meeting be adjourned. I second. I second. Oh, <laughs> oh, you guys didn't even let me say anything. <laughs> so I will adjourn the meeting on behalf or in memoriam or of um, Marjorie Cummins. Um, as Oscar James asked, um, that we 
and um, dedicate this meeting to her. And also wanted to thank all of my commissioners and staff for staying here um, late in the evening to get business done. And hopefully this is a year we take care of a lot more business. We'll join our meeting at 5.18 p.m.